Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. City was booming yesterday. The buzz was back. And uh, nearly 300,000... I know, yesterday morning the papers were saying 70,000 people back to work. This morning it's 280,000 people back to work. So work it out for yourself. <laughs> nearly 300,000. Tomorrow it'll be half a million people back to work. But that's all good news. Finally getting back to work yesterday. Retail in there. Thousands across the country. And the red tops and the broadsheets don't spare the photographs from inside and outside the shops. Particularly the Echo this morning that has pages and pages of photographs from uh, Cork City of different shops right across the retail choice, the retail spectrum. Retailers geared up for a three billion euro reopening sales splurge this month. That's what they figure the tills will be ringing to. Uh, an astonishing 10 million an hour in sales yesterday alone. It's all that pent up frustration, locked in and also pent up bank accounts with some people, not all clearly, but some people uh, loaded with the loot that were spending yesterday. The downside to all of this is that you have Framoy, Rathcormac, Watergrass Hill, Carrigan all making the front of the echo today where they say that some leaving to start students, particularly in Framoy, will have to go back to online classes because of concerns over COVID-19 in the wider East and North Cork area. It's a front pager making the echo today. But um, this morning, the papers talk about our chances of getting overseas. And Ryanair, of course, are feeling the pain these days. Their profits have taken a nosedive by almost a billion euro because of COVID. 815 million to be exact. And they're keeping prices low this year, according to Michael O'Leary. But 2022... Prices with Ryanair will just have to go up. Holidays in the sun? Well, the Taunishta. Remember him, Leo Varadkar? He says that uh, holidays abroad will not be allowed, thank you very much, until August at the very earliest. Um, and God knows what it will be then as to whether it's a digital green certificate, a passport, an app. Uh, who knows what it'll be? Will you need to be vaccinated? Will you need the double dose? I suppose by August, everybody should have at least one jab. Anyway, British tourists were racing to the airports uh, yesterday. Thousands upon thousands of them went to amber list countries, never mind the green list. And they're off to France and Spain and Greece and the United States. So 150 flights went out yesterday. Uh, in spite of all sorts of warnings from the British government telling people, be careful about amber countries because you'll be a price to be paid when you come back with quarantining and things like that. But they're also talking in the Times UK today. So many people are flying and will be flying across the summer that they're expecting very long queues at the airports going hither and thither. So with that in mind, they're putting loads and loads of screens. I think they have them already, but they're turning them to football on the screen. So there'll be football on screen to stop airport queues kicking off. They're going to ask the footballers to kick off instead. story that we've dealt with on many occasions here, people who have been scammed online with regards to sending money or agreeing to send deposits for rental properties to crooks and criminals. And the Echo pick up on that theme this morning where they say people looking to find a home in the rental market are being duped by tens of thousands. And the guards are warning people over the scams in the rental market. Anybody asks you to transfer money ahead of a viewing or anyone tells you I'm overseas but I'm going to get somebody to meet you. They're crooks, right? Do not engage with them. And then there's a couple of awful stories making the papers with regards to um, uh, the courts this morning. And this one is particularly disturbing. It was a young student who was heading into the English market to buy some food. He was approached by two characters, a Romanian husband and wife, a fellow called Georgi Marcinica, 
and Michelle Judel. He's 29, she's 30. No fixed abode. They've got five months and three months prison respectively now because although they denied it, they were found guilty by Olin Keller in court yesterday uh, of taking money from a young fella. They pressed him and pressed him and pressed him. In fact, the young fella felt that he was threatened by the man, his physical appearance and his size. He was worried about what happened. He brought them to an ATM machine where he said he'd give them a fiver. That wasn't enough for them. They were saying that they needed money for the bus for the two of them to Dublin and they needed money for the bus, um, food for the bus because of a long journey. So he took out 40 euro because he felt threatened. That still wasn't enough. He came back again and uh, he took out another 20 from the ATM. He gave them that. Uh, mind you, uh, it wasn't long before the guards had them collared and they were in court yesterday. Astonishingly, they said that um, I never do bad things. I asked for enough to get taken to Dublin, me and my wife, 33 euro each. He gave me 40. I was asking for money for food because the bus is a four-hour journey. I don't do bad things. The judge was having none of it yesterday. And what's astonishing about this is that it was previously alleged at a bail hearing that while the two of them were allegedly living on the streets of Cork without any welfare, without any unemployment benefit, they had transferred 8,800 euro in cash home to Romania in the course of two months. So unless they're alchemists with regards to, um, you know, whatever the alchemist equivalent is is to printing legal tender, how'd they do that? They've got no money and they're asking a young fellow the price of the bus fare, etc., etc., etc. Do they think we came down in the last shower transferring 8,800 allegedly back to Romania? And then there's a mugging makes the front of the sun today of a grandmother of this character called Mark Duggan. He got four years jail. He dragged and he dragged and he dragged at this misfortunate woman so much trying to get her handbag off her that she fell to the ground. He continued to drag at her, um, knocked her over, robbed her, defenceless grandmother walking in the capital. Um, of course, it was all captured on CCTV and the whole court report makes this morning's sun today. It's disgusting. Disgusting. And he got four years jail for that. Uh, and of course, all the cyber activity makes all of the papers today. It's going to cost us an awful lot more than the ransom to put this right. Uh, that you can be sure. In fact, the cyber attackers now have put the HSE back in the 1970s mode. Some say they never left it. Um, but HSE in 70s mode after the cyber attack. Uh, patients' data. Um, apparently, the hackers are taunting the HSE now because uh, apparently they have already d- um, loaded a lot of the data, redacted files online, claiming that these are HSE files, which they're going to unblock. So the clock is ticking with the hackers. The clock is ticking with regards to the ransom, but apparently Ireland ain't paying. In fact, Russia, <laughs> it's bizarre, considering it's apparently Russians behind it in the first place. Russia, Russian officials have vowed to help the Irish government to track down the cyber criminals. I'll be holding my breath on that one. There are other colour stories making the papers today. Lovely, lovely story making the echo. Did you ever see that beautiful little parklet um, just where Capwell meets Douglas Street. It's beautiful. It's just gorgeous. Flowers and decking and a seating area. City Council now want to put in six more of those. Whatever they're taking with regards to supplements at Cork City Council, I'd keep taking it because they're doing some great work at the moment. So six new parklets in the greater metropolitan area. That's nice, isn't it? Cork's greater metropolitan area. <laughs> well, you just be able to sit down and chat with your mates. Won't have to spend any money. Just sit down, get a takeaway coffee or have a little picnic or a, a fag. Whatever floats your boat. Lines open at one 850 The Neil Prenderville Show. With Tesco, a little help makes a big difference.
And um, I also want to do some texts and emails from yesterday because there was quite a lot of them. But for fear that I, I, I'm imagining that I will get more on this throughout the course of the morning. But do you remember my conversation yesterday with uh, Paul Travaux, Travaux's restaurant in, in Killarney? The gist of the conversation and uh, the gist of his message, which he has sent to every single public official and to all of the publicans, I imagine, and all of the vintners and all of the restaurateurs around the country, they want to be able to open on uh, the second day of June. He's saying that all restaurants uh, and all bars need to be open on the same date as hotels, indoors, 50% capacity, that they can't wait until July. Many businesses will fold. June is survivable. July, if that's the wait till July, they won't survive. So we contacted uh, so far all of our Cork TDs. That would include Holly Cairns, Michael Collins, Christopher O'Sullivan, Pat Buckley, James O'Connor, uh, Sean Sherlock, David Stanton, Mick Barry, Cullen Burke, Thomas Gould, Padraig O'Sullivan, Michael Creed, Andreas Moynihan, Michael Moynihan, Simon Coveney, Michal Martin, Michael McGrath and Donico O'Leary. Now they were all contacted yesterday uh, and I got a reply from Pat Buckley in Sinn Féin. I got a reply from Donico O'Leary in Sinn Féin. I got a reply from Andreas Moynihan. Uh, Fianna Fáil and a reply from Cullen Burke, Fianna Gael. That's all. Four. Out of the whole lot of four. Now, they would say, you know, give us a couple of days to respond to the email, so I will, but I got four. Cullen Burke, in fairness to him, has said um, that if the number of cases being identified continues to, discre- to decrease over the next two weeks, he says, I believe that the date for reopening of restaurants and bars indoors should be brought forward. So, that's interesting. Colin Burke nailing his colours to the mast. If numbers keep dropping, pubs and restaurants should be allowed to open sooner. Andreas Moynihan says, I'm very much in favour of safely reopening society and businesses. We see, however, in the UK, vaccines have enabled the safe reopening of hospitality. It should be possible here too. I'm reading into that, that he's also in favour of pubs and restaurants, indoor dining and, and pinting, indoors earlier. Whether that's the 2nd of June, I don't know. But bizarrely, in response to the question that we put to Pat Buckley of Sinn Féin and Donico Lira of Sinn Féin, would you believe I told you that I got the same response from both of them? As in, word for word. Yeah. Which is the first time in my life this has ever, ever happened with a TD. I've never seen this happen before. That you send a question to two different TDs and they both send you back the same answer. Like as if they were cognate in school. The same answer. We have consistently met with business groups and representatives regarding the difficulties restaurants and pubs are facing. It's Pat Buckley. Goes on to say, um, an honest conversation like this costs nothing and the government should be conducting these engagements immediately, says Pat Buckley. Donna Lera. An honest conversation like this costs nothing and the government should be conducting these engagements immediately. I mean, you wouldn't, like, can they not speak and think and write and text for themselves? I mean, does everything have to go through Sinn Féin head office when it comes to a response to a media query to two different TDs who send back the same answer, which means that they never wrote the answer in the first place. It was written by somebody else within Sinn Féin. Um, Incidentally, they didn't answer the question, either of them. They both came back and just said, an honest conversation like this costs nothing and the government should be conducting these engagements immediately. What I think I will do later on is I will post both of their responses online, if you don't believe me. 
two different TDs, same party, both of them, the same word for word answer. Lines open on that and lots more besides text 0868104106. Back after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Julie, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Good, thank you. And thank you so much for taking the time to uh, email me. But it's always nicer to talk to somebody uh, on air, person to person. So shall we endeavour to try and help to put the missing pieces to your dad's life? Um, We know that James, your dad, was born in 1946 on the South Terrace. Pick up the story. Yeah, so he was born on the 12th of March, 1946. And it was in St. Kevin's Maternity Hospital. Um, it was a maternity hospital back then. Didn't know that. Didn't um, even know there was one there, but there you go. Yeah, yeah. Um, maternity hospital and um, he was born throughout the March and his mother was registered as Nelly O'Brien. Um, basically, he was he, he was just left there and boarded out. Um, he was never adopted um, what I could see in your email was that yes he was born in 1946 to his mam Nelly who herself was born in 1906 and she was yeah. 40 when she had your dad um, in St. Kevin's Maternity Hospital South Terrace and that he was boarded out at birth until around about the age of nine to a home on Blarney Street that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And then from the um, age of, does he recall much of those early years? He must do. He, do you know what? He doesn't. He doesn't remember too much. Um, now he, he, with that family, he was very happy. They were m- so good to him. Yeah. He had a great, he had a great time with them. Everything. Yeah. But then um, in nineteen, he was he was removed for some reason. There's there's no record. At the age of, of I was just doing the maths on it from your email. From nine years old to twelve, what's the record? That's right. So it was up until it was actually his birthday. So the twelfth of March, fifty five, he was um, removed from Julie Franks. Hmm. But then he was replaced again in 1958. There's no record. We don't know where he was. And unfortunately, he can't remember. He doesn't remember being anywhere else or like it's just a complete blank to him. And I've been through, I've checked all the records. Tusla, I've been in contact with everybody you could imagine. He has no recollection of where he might have been from 55 to 58. No. He thinks he was always with Julie Franks, but the record shows that he wasn't, that he was removed and replaced. He'd remember that, surely, a boy at 11 or 12. At that age, you would think you'd remember quite a lot, yeah, yeah but yeah. He, he doesn't. Um, and does he recall school? He does recall school. He was in um, Blarney Street, CBS, and I've checked his school records, and there's three years missing from school records as well. Where was the gap? Now, Do you have the years of the gap? There is. They're not the exact years. So he was there. In he was there. He started off there, and um, but then he was missing for fifty three and fifty four and fifty five. That's so weird. there's kind of different different dates. But so he was missing for he was missing for three years while still living on Blarney Street and not going to the school. It's bizarre, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. It it is. It's it's a mystery, really. You know, and nowhere can help me. I just 
you know, don't know where to turn for the for the answers. And is this something that you're doing for your dad because he talks about it a lot? I mean, you said that you sent the email with a heavy heart. Is it because it's troubling him? It is troubling him. He's his whole life. He's seventy five years of age now. Um, always like he has had a good life, but he just has that ship miss. You know that part missing from him that he doesn't have any any biological relations at all that we know. Like it's it's been very hard for him and for us too. I mean, it's you know my my family, my grandparents, you know my children. You know, we'd love to be able to just find somebody, but it's just looking, and I mean, he's 75, his health isn't great. You know, I'd love to be able to just give him some bit of hope or that a miracle that somebody might be listening that would say, oh, I remember that story or something. Well, we know of Nellie O'Brien, his mother, but that probably was her married name, married to a James O'Brien, Yeah. Yeah, at 40, the record says that she was 40 having my dad. And do you have a baptismal cert? I have a baptismal cert and I have his birth cert. I mean, he's lucky. He has, you know, some people have nothing, but we actually do have those information. I have his birth, his parents are down as Nellie O'Brien with no father registered. And then uh, there's sponsors there as well. So there's two names if, but if you want, I, there's there no, was a Michael Spillane and a Bridie Duggan. The file in St. Kevin's them. noted that his mam was married, though. She married, er, She it noted that she was Mrs. O'Brien um, in the record. But, you know, I suppose in those days you're going in, a married person, like giving up a child, or would she have said that she was married? Um but you there's know, no dad there's no dad there's no dad on the birth cert. No, no. But we do know that we do know that Nelly had two previous children to your own dad. So there's also blanks that need filling in there that your dad could have brothers and sisters. He could have exactly. Um as well like her her age is down as 40 everything is like his his weight was everything was 8 pounds. And age what, for she was 8 for age 40. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's no give or take. So, I mean, she could have been younger, you know. Of course, uh, she'd, she'd have been well passed away by now because if she was alive, we'd be seeing her photographs in the paper. She'd be 105. That's it. You know, she'd be 105. And you then know. you have Nelly, could be no, Ellen. No, could, she you would know, not. There's she'd, so many, she'd be 100 yeah. and uh, she'd be 115, <laughs> actually. Fair play to her. <laughs> I know, yeah. And, okay, another interesting part of this, of course, is that without naming the individual that you did in the email, I, I won't bother naming the individual if you don't mind, but somebody was looking for him around about 1983. How do you know that? Um, that was in his freedom of, freedom of information I received. So I applied for the freedom of information. Everything nearly came back completely blank, which is ridiculous, because even information that we knew was blanked out. Um, so then there was this attachment onto it. It was a solicitor's letter, which the solicitor is blanked out as well. But it just says that somebody was inquiring in 1983. So my dad was 37. He was married with children. And uh, they were inquiring as to whether he had been formally adopted or whether he was still fostered. Do you know from the FOI who that person or persons were? Um. 
the person's name that uh, that oh. made the. Uh, well, yeah, the, we we do we don't we do know one individual, but what I'm saying is, do you know? I don't want that person named because the FOI oh. probably has them protected. But do you know if they might have been family or distant family? Or I, just... I don't know any. No, I all I have is a name and that they were a client of the solicitor. Um, the only thing is that. I had a meeting with Tusla. They said that it was possibly um, that normally when somebody's looking for an ad- to see if somebody was adopted, it's, you know, could have been just family looking for it. It wasn't that he, they were tracing the family or anything like that. It was just they wanted to know was he adopted. Like, that's a long time after his birth. Well, 37 years after his birth, yeah. But Tusla told you some super dude or... Somebody in Tusla said that they dealt with 90 cases in recent times, like your dad's, yeah. and had managed to solve 87 of them. 87, absolutely. I Isn't that incredibly successful, so though? Yeah, every bit of information that we've got, Tusla, I can't say any. They've been so helpful. But they've drawn now blanks on your dad, have they? Sorry? Have they drawn blanks regarding your dad and two others, is it? Yes, just blanks. Yeah, 87 cases were successful. They found the family, but my dad and two others, unfortunately, um, we didn't get any anywhere, you know. But, um, you know, we're just hoping still, you know, there's still time that something might come up or somebody might uh, just recognise the name or I mean Grange as well it's, you know, it's an unusual like if she didn't want to be known where she was from it's I've never been there actually just only went for a spin there from recently I, from I, yeah. and it's such a small lovely place like you just, you'd be through it if you drove you drove past it you know yeah. it's so nice Yeah, and I yeah. just wonder I did search all the records showed that she possibly wasn't born there because well, I have no, I can't find a Nelly O'Brien born there. Okay, but you you used a term boarded out to a family on Blarney Street. Is is That's that the right. term that was used? Is that different to adopted or fostered, or is what does it mean? No, it's the same as being fostered, but they called it boarded, boarded out. out. It yeah. was yeah, it's an awful, an awful yeah. thing to say, but that's that's what what it was. Yeah. So after he left Blarney Street, just to recap again. Um, before his teens, where did he live? Um, he lived in Blarney Street, so parts of the family took him in, and um, but they they were all under the one all Julie Franks's relations. They they um, looked after him, and they were so, they were so kind to him, so good to him. I can never. But was never he there? Was he there till he was eighteen or nineteen or something? Sorry, was he there until he was eighteen? He was, he was, yeah. Yeah, so then he had a job, I think he did, he was a messenger boy. Was he? Um, you know, he had a couple of jobs here and there and then he got married and, you know, had never, children. Never so. left Cork, no? Never left Cork, no. He's always been there, yeah. So, you know, hopefully that somebody might have been looking for him too, you know, would you be said, great. You, absolutely, and that's the purpose of this conversation, to try and give out it as is. much information that might just maybe chink the memory of somebody because you want to help yeah. your dad to find out if his mother ever loved him or if he was just that's not it. wanted. Isn't that it? That's so yeah, sad. It's just, it's so heartbreaking. Imagine, like, going through your whole life, like, as I say, a lot of people do find somebody eventually or... You know, it's just, it's so sad. It's so, so sad to look at it like, you know, it's 
for us too, you know, I want I want to know who our relations were. Of course you, know, you do. What was the of course you do. And the and the clock is yeah. ticking. The clock is ticking on your dad. Ah, he's. I mean, he's only he's only what mid seventies, but it would still be nice to know, wouldn't it? It would be amazing. It would be. It would make make all of our lives. And is he you closer know, to seventy fantastic. or is he closer to eighty now? Which. He's 75. Right, He's 75. in the middle. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, let us see. Uh, well, put it out there. Maybe somebody has some information. It might ring a bell with somebody. Are we covering everything? Yeah. We are, I'd say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. we have... Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. If anybody has any information or they've heard any section of that story that might uh, knit together some kind of yeah. uh, missing piece of the jigsaw puzzle, hopefully they'll get in touch. Yeah, brilliant, Neil. That would be fantastic. Thanks and they can so drop much. us an email Thank to you. neil at redfm.ie. They can text 0868104106 if they choose. Okay. Perfect. And you have my email and my phone number Certainly for anybody have. has any bit of information. Be brilliant. Thanks Will so do. much. You're welcome, Julie. Take care. Thank you, Neil. Thanks a million. Bye. Take care. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 1851 Red FM. Never know who might be listening that might be able to add some light or fill in some of the blanks with regards to the birth and uh, details of James O'Brien, born 1946 on the South Terrace in a place called St. Kevin's Maternity Hospital. His mother was Nellie from the Fomoy area and she was 40 when she gave birth to James and he is now 75 and his children want to help him. Uh, to find family um, and get more information about his mam. It's quite sad in one way, but it would be terrific and very positive and happy news if we were able to help them in any way, shape or form. So text 0868104106, email neil at uh, redfm.ie. I think Dave actually said there was one text there I saw quite interesting because where there are blanks in his earlier life, uh, Dave says, referencing the man who has three years missing from his early life, story of James O'Brien. Could it be that he may have been in hospital for that period? TB was rampant at the time and some people, some people had very, very long stays in hospitals such as Sarsfields Court. Thank you, Dave. That's food for thought. Maybe the family might want to to check on that. So I will come back to it if I have updates. If you can help, please do so. Text 0868104106. Incidentally, texts as well coming in regarding what people are calling my Sinn Féin bashing. I get accused of bashing all political parties, so I don't really mind being criticised in that regard because somebody's always calling me out on, on, on bashing a particular party that they follow. You're some man for the Sinn Féin bashing, Neil. I don't recall you calling out any Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil Green Party members on the numerous occasions they feign support for issues like mother and baby homes, the housing crisis, nurses pay, Debenhams workers, the list goes on and on. And then these same politicians from those parties will vote like they're told in the doll and vote against solving these issues. I must have missed you calling them out on this hypocrisy. Um, I do hope Sinn Féin will be the next government as they have all the perfect solutions. There'll be no homelessness. We will have the perfect country. And if they do get in, they will moan that they can't fix the mess left behind. A party run by a very small group. Another one. Why are you picking on Sinn Féin? Maybe the TDs didn't bother to reply. Maybe the TDs who didn't bother to reply should be named and shamed and not those who did reply to you. Maybe the two TDs in question work out of the same office. They don't. Worked together in their response. They didn't. Um, To be on the same wavelength as each other. Not the case. Um, uh, Pat Buckley has said that when questions like these come into TDs, they're sent nationally 
to whoever's portfolio it is and that person whose portfolio it is. Obviously, somebody in Sinn Féin has a COVID portfolio. They answer the question. They send the answer back to the local TDs and then the local TDs release it as their answer. I mean, that's worrying to me. I mean, that's just bizarre. Incidentally, I did call out all the others who haven't responded, but it hasn't even been 24 hours yet, so they need some more time. We've eight TDs, 18 TDs, four have responded. Uh, th- there's another one, there's another text here, so I'll just come in on Sinn Féin. Um, the reason that I made an issue of this is we sent out uh, a question for the TDs to answer personally, and the two Sinn Féin TDs that replied had the exact same answers. Um, we have consistently met, uh, says uh, Pat Buckley. We have consistently met, says Donald O'Leary. We are keenly aware, says Donald O'Leary. We are keenly aware, says Pat Buckley. Um, the rightly, they are rightly disappointed that the indoor dining for restaurants. They're rightly disappointed that the indoor dining for restaurants. An honest conversation costs nothing, uh, says Donna O'Leary. An honest conversation costs nothing, says Pat Buckley. We wanted their opinions, personal opinions on it. Nobody else is theirs. Um, and then Donna O'Leary said that he wasn't in a position to come on air, but he would give a response, and he has. He says, regarding the emails... The position outlined is the Sinn Féin position, which has been agreed by the party after discussion and which I agree with. So it's not a major surprise that myself and Pat Buckley expressed the same sentiment as we are both in the same party and are happy with the position. I'm not available today, but I'm happy to come on tomorrow if that suits. Um, and of course, I wasn't asking the party position. Uh, that, that gets me even more worried that, the, that a TD must always toe the party line and not have a personal opinion. Does it mean that no Sinn Féin TD has a personal opinion that is shareable, broadcastable, quotable, that it always has to be? This is not Sinn Féin bashing, incidentally. I, I just find that that has never, ever happened in my life before, that I would get the same standard reply from two Cork TDs within the same party. That's all. That's just the point I'm making. Anyway, lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Lots then on yesterday's cyber attack. And what's quite worrying actually is that you know the criminals and the cyber criminals are always one step ahead of us. A bit like the scam artists are. I was telling you about the people who have been caught in rental scams. That's easy peasy stuff. If you're caught in a rental scam, you should know better because they're 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 borderline dopes. They just hope that they can get one in a thousand. Uh, then there was the young couple. Uh, this isn't a scam. This is legit. Young couple in the Independent this morning. They were asked for a ten thousand euro deposit before they could view a four-bedroom house in County Wicklow. Imagine a young couple with a small baby having to fork out a 10 grand, I assume it's a refundable deposit, before they could even view the house. That's how bad things are at the moment. But be very careful if you're buying stuff on your phone, on your laptop, your PC, and you think you're safe because the bank sends you a text to verify the transaction scammers are now doing that as well. So you thought your last line of defense was the text from the bank saying, um, this is the code you need to put in. You know the one, that text you get to verify the transaction from the bank? Uh, It may not be coming from the bank. To the phone lines we go. Anne, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Okay, and you were making a transaction online for in and around between three and four hundred euros. So pick up the story at that point. Okay, that's not actually quite what happened. Okay. Um, the screenshot that I sent to um, had previous texts from the bank. They were legitimate previous texts from the bank for previous transactions. 
Yeah. So oh three, yes, the three sixty was an early one, which was legit. Yes. And and of course, yes. when you got the dodge, when the scam one came in, it was beneath the legit ones in your texts. Exactly, it was on the same text thread. So naturally enough, I assumed it was legit as well. So I got a text on Sunday evening um, from. Can I name the bank? Is that Absolutely, yeah, not a bother because then people need to know. Yes, exactly. So I got a text um, from AIB on the same thread that I'd been getting legitimate texts from them all the time um, saying that um, unauthorised activity had taken place on my visa card um, and, you know, that I could either authorise it or cancel it on this link. So I clicked the link and the link gave a little bit more detail saying um, we have cancelled your card for the moment and you can rectify that by clicking or inputting your details here. So it looked for the entire details, like my login for my internet banking. Yeah, I um, mean, it's like, clearly this, okay, clearly this is not real. These are criminals. How did the text from the criminals going on about an unauthorised transaction end up in the same text boxes as legitimate ones? I don't know, you know, and that's quite scary because... Only because I'm naturally suspicious of online activity um, did I stop. You know, I, I, I'm very... When I clicked it and it said it wanted all the details, I thought, mm, if that was real, surely it would either tell me to get onto my online banking, log into my online banking, or it wouldn't ask me to log in here. So it did ask you, you can authorise or cancel this request at aib onlineauthenticcom Did you click that? I clicked that and that then told me that um, they had cancelled my card for the moment or not. I don't know the exact wording. I can't remember. But what did they ask you for? What did they ask you for? They asked me for my online registration and the entire five digits for my pass or whatever they call it. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that would have been your account cleaned out if you gave that. Yeah. But for me, that's not the scariest part, right? The scariest part for me was I then phoned AIB because, as I said, I'm naturally suspicious, so I'll be careful anyway. Yeah. But so many people wouldn't. So many people would have done that. Given the PIN number? So legitimate. So many people would have followed the bank's instructions or thought they were following the bank's instructions. Because it appeared in the same text thread as legitimate previous AIB messages. Exactly. I know. So I phoned the AIB card services on Sunday evening and there was a recorded message to say um, the phones aren't meant until, I can't remember, they were like basic business working hours Monday to Friday. Okay, okay. Did you call again? I called again, but I thought that was strange too because we do have card problems over the weekend or in the evening. I know. Anyway... I called, I got another text the next day. I kind of relaxed about it because it said the card was cancelled. So whether it was real or not, it was cancelled anyway. So I felt safe. So I got a second text the following day, Monday, yesterday, which prompted me to call again. And I called yesterday and the representative that I spoke to at Card Services and EIB told me that their fraud department was aware of it that it was a very sophisticated scam. Their fraud, um, I said, how did it come in on the same text? And she said they were aware of it. It How did they do it? I don't know, but if AIB card terms or fraud services were aware of it, why haven't we been warned about it? 
why hasn't everybody been told about this? I mean, exactly. it, you know, why don't they just, they have your everyone's phone number. They could send a text and say, yeah. there is yeah. a scam. It yeah, will look exactly. like as if it's coming from us. It will appear in the same thread of authenticated messages that you got from us. Do not respond. Yeah. I mean, this must know, be, like if, if that money had gone out of your account, AIB would give it back to you, wouldn't they? I don't know. I think they probably would um, because it was a scam and then they'd be, they'd be out for the money. I don't know what the legality of that is. Um, I mean, if it's a scam, it, is it their responsibility? But the fact that they're not warning people definitely is. Isn't it amazing how advanced these scams and criminals, cyber criminals have become that they now can get into the same thread as legit threads and hide in there and give it that sense of authenticity? It's scary, Neil, and it's really bad for business as well because, like, I, I have a business and I work a lot online with online sales. And, you know, the more suspicious and, care- and worried people get, um, that, you know, that, that's going to impact business, obviously. Do you think there are many businesses who are just in a kind of a hazy grey area and they just don't know anymore what's legit? Because the fakes look 100% legit now, you know? They just everything is so advanced that it looks great it could be a mirror image of somebody's website but it's still a, fa- a fake you know do you think I'd that I'd be very very surprised if a lot of people weren't caught up with this scam because it looks so legit but do you really think that people would give out a p- full pin number by text maybe some would I imagine some people would yeah I imagine they would if they thought they were giving it to the bank of course, if the they deal. They were logging into their account. Basically, they didn't think they were giving it to anyone. This was giving the impression that you were logging into your bank, your account, to safeguard your card. And also, just on a final point, if it says, and of course it was a scam, but if it says an unauthorized transaction has been performed on your card, you should be able to ring a bank twenty four seven and report it. That's what I thought. Yeah. Crazy, yeah, crazy, crazy. Let people beware. Let people beware. And thank you very much for taking the call and sending on copies of the text messages. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank Have you a good day. You. It's uh, called spoofing, Neil. So it appears genuine. Spoofing. We all know of spoofers, all right. By spoofing, they copy the genuine number and make it look genuine. You can do it with anything except emails. The key thing is to know, is to never follow a link. Thank you for that, but how can they get in? I mean, how can two people have the same number? How can the bank have a number and the scam have a number? And how can they, it's okay, they may have your text number, but how do they get in on the thread of the bank? Uh, I know there's a tech answer to it, but it's just incredible that they can. And huge amounts on the on the cyber attacks from yesterday's section of the program, and even more so, uh, many more tags then on issues involving staycation prices. And I want to do those and lots more besides. But back to the phone lines we go. Tuesday morning's busy. Harvey, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Thank you so much for taking the call. You heard my conversation with Julie telling us about her dad. I did. Okay, and you know where he was born. We're talking about uh, James O'Brien, born in 1946 in St. Kevin's Maternity Hospital on the South Terrace. Yeah, well, Neil, I was born in 1948. I never even knew there was a hospital on the South Terrace, never mind a maternity one. Where, where was it? Is it one of the red brick buildings? I think it's where the apartments are now. You know the side street there that goes from the South Terrace to Copley Street? Yeah, okay, other side of the road, okay. Yeah. There's about two or three doors down from that, I think. 
on the Grand Parade side. And can you tell us? Can side. you tell us your own story then? Nineteen forty-eight. Well, all I know about it is my I was born there in nineteen forty-eight, and my sisters were born prior to that, prior to me, and it was owned by a Mrs. Harvey. She owned and ran the place, a Mrs. Harvey, and I think Mrs. Harvey could be related to Martin Harvey, the solicitor. Well, I'd be darned. could be his mother. Well, I'd be double darned. I must ask him about that. But that was a Harvey surname, and my Harvey is my Christian name. And evidently, my father and mother called me after the nursing home because my father used to be in the uh, carrying removal business, and he always needed help, naturally. And eventually, when I came along, there were four girls before me, and and the same went, he said, help at last, when I was the boy, (laughs) and that's how I got my name. (laughs) He named you after Mrs. Harvey. That's right, as a Christian name. Gotcha, I gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, You see, this is a, that's a lovely story, incidentally, and it'd be nice to talk to Martin Harvey to see if that was his mother. No, that had I, that I, I can't verify that now, but it's it, it, it kind of, uh, it's in my mind that Martin Harvey was, was there. Two, in the, uh, two years before be, you, James so. O'Brien was born to Inelli O'Brien. His man was 40 when he was born. That's right. And he was, um, he was bo- they call it boarded out. I don't um, know about that, no. But, up onto uh, Blarney Street all his yeah. life up to the age of 18 and he's yeah, desperate I, to find details. I heard details. the story, I yeah. heard the story. But yeah. I thought you might have mentioned that Mrs. Harvey been owing, owning that place. Didn't know it. Because, uh, I just didn't know. Time ago. Another person has but just I, texted to say they were also born there and Martin Harvey is a relative of Mrs. Harvey who owned and ran the maternity home. I know, no, there you go, there you go. There you well, have I, it. I, I, think my, in, 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 I think in the day gone by, they were known as maternity homes. I think they were known as nursing homes. Nursing homes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so, because there was another one up there in, in Wellington Road called the Glen Vera. The Glen Vera is right. That's where my late grandmother-in-law, uh, Kitty Lenahan, was born. They used to call that a lying-in hospital. Is that right? The yeah. Glen Vera, yeah. it, was a, it was a bed and breakfast for years. I think it may be used now for asylum seeker and refugee accommodation. That's right. But that okay, okay, originally was another, uh, because I, I had a brother after me that was born there. That's right. You are dead right. Yeah. Fair play to you. And you are we, dead right. there was another one up the road in, in Wellington Road called the Mary Celine nursing <laughs> home. Up on the Wellington Road. There's no end to your knowledge. Well, I imagine the Harveys will be delighted that a little boy born there was named after their ma'am. Harvey. I, I know, I know Martin Harvey. I know Martin. I do. I know. Lovely guy. Great story. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, yeah. Harvey. Appreciate it. I was on you before, Neil, so thanks very much. You're more than welcome for taking the call. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Eamon, good morning. Good morning. Were you born there in 63? I was born in there in 63. It's on the corner of Copley Street there on the South Terrace. That would mean that it's, a new, it's an apartment building now, an apartment block. Yes, it was a private nursing home for all people. A private nursing home for what does that mean? I mean, why would babies be born there then? They was uh, they used to take in private anyone that was any girl that was pregnant at the time was taken in there privately. Right. Instead of going to Besbra or the other one, they they'd go in there. Okay, and you were born there in '63, uh, but you know full details of your life and your birth and your parentage and everything, don't you? I know, you get the records above in Blackpool at the back of the fire station. There's a heritage centre in there. That's right, it is. That's yeah, where the archives yeah. are. Did yeah, you have Did you have to go there? You, I, have, I went up there, I got all my records, 
where the where I was who my mother was. Um, the day I was born, my weight, everything is inside there. Well, I'd be darned. And you wanted that information because you wanted to find your mam, is it? No, I got a, I got a, I got a phone, I got a letter from a guy in America saying that he was my half brother. Wow. So I got in contact with the HSC, and there was a girl I knew, and she took up to Blackpool. Now you can't walk in there. You need your passport and you need your license. Would be great. It would be great for James O'Brien. He's seventy-five now to know if he had brothers or sisters, or if he gets some more information about his mam's life. Well, what they do, I, I got a long sheet of paper. It's about the length of a table, and it tells you when she went in, who was the doctor, what weight you were, and what, or how long did it take for the, the procedure and everything. They know all of that, though. No disrespect to what you're saying. They know all of that, but because they know where he was boarded out to, a f- beautiful family on uh, on Blarney Street. But it's the family back in Fromoy and his mother and what became of her and did she ever think of him or wonder about him? Those kind of questions. No, you'll have, no, you'll have to go to Tusla for that. Yeah, Tusla have done a cracking job as well, but they can go no further with it, apparently. They have no more they details. Done the they, they done the same with me. Yeah. They, want, they, they don't investigate to see I, I was... My mother was living in Bannock. Right? Yeah. Her, her name was. Well, I mean, be careful now. You got giving information that might be redacted. You know, be careful about that. You know, so uh, we 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 better not go that live on air. But I will put you back on hold, and if you want to share further information with the lads, then we can chat again. Just want to be careful because a lot of the time, information that's given to you is not for third party consumption. Back after ten. Hi, it's Connor. Join me Sunday from seven for Green on Red, bringing you the biggest, the best, and newest names in Irish music. Music Station of the Year. Cork's Red FM. Point of clarification. Uh, during the newspapers this morning, I was referencing the front page of this morning's Echo. It prompted a call from the secretary from the Carrignavar Secondary School. A parent, they said, heard Neil saying that six years were sent home for remote learning from Carrignavar Secondary School. That is not the case. The sixth years are still in school, and the principal would like to share that. Okay, let me clarify. I didn't say Carrignavar. I said that's uh, no. I mean, I'm just saying you are dead right to get in touch in case anybody is going around on the, under the misapprehension that schools are out in, in Carrignavar. The sto- what I referenced actually was leaving search students, some leaving search students in Fromoy have online classes now because of an outbreak um, in Fromoy secondary schools, uh, the Loretto and St. Coleman's College Colostro and Cravon as well. There have been one confirmed case in, in each of those. It, that, those cases in Fromoy have led to some online classes, you know, and it comes on the back of a number of cases at Skolvreed in Rathcormac, the National School in Glountorn, uh, and the National School in Watergrass Hill, and the National School in Carrignavar. Okay, so that's what I was saying, and I'm happy to clarify. Another one or two interesting ones, and we spoke about this at length when it was actually, when it happened, this tragedy. This was the story of Emma Sloan. You may recall that she died in 2013. Um, why? She suffered a reaction from mistakenly eating a sauce containing nuts um, in a, a restaurant that she was at and came out, got very sick and collapsed on the side of the street. It was at that stage that her mother and the family tried to, if I remember correctly, tried to get um, an EpiPen in a pharmacy and couldn't get it because um, Emma didn't have a prescription. 
and she died. Um, her mother sued the pharmacy and yesterday it was settled in court for 50,000 euro. It's a tragic, tragic story. And, uh, you know, eight years later, uh, the court case was settled um, for 50,000 euro. Um, I think maybe the law has changed now. Might be worth checking and see that I'm absolutely right that it has. That in circumstances like that, you will get an EpiPen without a prescription. Anybody there know if I'm right or wrong? Did the law change on that? And Dr. Ava, I hope to talk to her later in the week because she just calls it as it is. That's one thing about Dr. Ava. She says how she feels. And she says the children should be weighed and measured in schools to help to tackle the rise in child obesity. Obesity. Apparently, she's getting savaged. A massive backlash on social media saying that it is fat-shaming children. Not everybody agrees with Dr. Ava that uh, school children should be weighed in school. I suppose she's saying if parents won't do it, maybe the responsibility for overweight and obese children should fall to the schools. God knows we have a weight problem with our children and God knows we had a weight problem that was also attached to COVID. Anyway, your thoughts are welcome on that. Text 0868104106. Would you agree or disagree with Dr. Ava that school children should be weighed and measured to help tackle the rise in child obesity? Something's got to be done, no matter what way you look at it. And did you ever, did you ever text something or tweet something um, and regret it? I mean, be honest. Yeah, and if you have, um, would you have? Would you have? Would you love to have been be able to avail of technology where um, you could undo it? You know how you can delete a WhatsApp, but you can't delete a text, or you can't delete a tweet that you might send in haste or half langers, right? Well, Twitter now, if you pay for it, will give you that option. Um, they call it an undo tweet button. I think they'll come up with something sexier than an undo tweet button. Maybe a reverse button where you'll be given X amount of seconds. You can buy the service and just pay for it and have it then. And you'll be given, I don't know, three seconds, five seconds, ten seconds uh, to undo the tweet before the other person sees it. I don't think that'll work because isn't it true that it's usually the next morning <laughs> that you need the undo tweet button? At least that's what I'm told. You can unsend Instagram, but Twitter and I are saying, well, you know, there might be some money on this. What do you think? Back after the break. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And you can text 086-8104-106. We've all done this, I suppose, where you would either react or respond in haste. I mean, I've done that in the past. I've reacted and responded to a text that might have been in your face too quickly and regretted it. I've responded to emails in the past too quickly, in haste and in anger and regretted it. But not, not you know, off, off the cuff silliness like. But So Twitter now are saying they're going to, for two ninety nine a month, you can buy this service apparently. They're trialing it now. Would you Would you like that? I, w- I would like it maybe for um, maybe emails or something like that. Or I know on Instagram you can unsend a message. I wouldn't be a huge Twitter user, but if I was, I would buy it for sure because I'm very guilty of these kind of mistakes we make. Even yesterday I did it. And did you delete it? No, because it was an email and it was gone. And can you tell us any more than that? It was uh, Cork TD. I sent kisses to. <laughs> so... 
because I emailed those TDs yesterday. Who did you send kisses? I'm not saying who did. No, no, no. Please. No, I'm, pre- I'm hoping like they didn't see it and because... Oh, please, I'll give you no, money. No, no, no. I will say on air that I have done it to Councillor Paddy Janine. He got a few kisses one time. Why do you do this? Is it because is it you usually send kisses and I messages? send kisses to so many people. Um, I think Emer did it in the group or else she said she did it to you. She did, yeah. She yeah, did. She and did. I'd send kisses to so many people. And you <laughs> she know, and said f- a kiss at the end of a day. Yeah. So, and then there's so many kind of you'd be on this and you'd be on that app. And then like kisses. And then you're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry about the kiss. I think Chris in the Anglers as well, he got a few kisses another time. But I'd say he was probably thinking she's on there. You know, the TD you send kisses is it, is it male or female? Male. All right. It wasn't was Holly Cairns or the Cairns. No, it wasn't Holly. No. Be more exciting if it was. Yes. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I I do it a good bit. Like to people, I'd be like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry about the kisses." So would you pay two? two would people pay two ninety? You see, deleting an e- an Instagram is is no good because they've seen it. Well, you can unsend. Yeah, but they've seen it. They mightn't have seen it. You can see when someone has seen it. Because now Twitter is saying for two ninety nine, if they roll this out a month, there's an undo button. You know what they're also doing in Twitter? You can have a super follow category where you can charge those that follow you follow you four ninety nine a month for exclusive tweets. Yeah, that's I mean it's would you be bothered, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah. they probably like if you were hugely famous. You probably could charge. You probably subscribe to it. Yeah, a you lot of people would. have that, and they so you subscribe to their emails and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. Who is the? No, team? I'm not saying it. Oh, I'd be sending. I'd probably be sending kisses later on in the group to. Have you sent? Everyone. Have you sent texts that you regretted the next morning? Well, you know, my friend in London, Trisha, she's listening now. She said something there to me recently. She was like, write it, regret it, say it, forget it. And since then, I'm like, just be careful what you write. But it's true. I'm like, be careful what you write, be careful what you write. Uh, over there, like someone says here, girls, um, on our, our breathalyzer for social media, that if you fail, uh, won't let you text or post. Like when you're after a few drinks. Oh, a I mean. breathalyzer for social media, that if you fail it, the text won't send. That's brilliant. Yeah. So like when you see you you don't drink and I don't drink anymore but like when I used to drink oh I mean anyone was getting if I was in bed if I was cross I mean you were getting it you know I'd be like oh, I'm going to text him there now or if you liked a guy you were, you were telling him you were in love with him you know you'd regret it the next day. It's uh, always a great idea. You're like oh, I'm going to do it there now I know I'm sober enough now to be doing that but you'd be fluted you wouldn't do it at all and then you wake up the next day and like oh no so oh my God. so yeah if anyone has any regrets about sending messages like I don't know kisses or do you know what oh god the bad one is the bad one when you like accidentally send a text no I haven't done it in years but like it's happened before you might be talking to the wrong person you might be talking about someone and you send it to them that's yeah. fine if it's a genuine thing, but if it's of a personal if it's nature, me, if it's mean or something, like yeah. But you know what happens as well on Instagram and other places as well. You, um, what you call it? You would on Instagram. You can share someone's post. But say if you had a story up now, and I might send on to someone. Look at Neil down here. He thinks he's the bomb for God's sake, right? And I could send it on to you. That happened to and me. You'd, that yeah. happened to me a few years ago with a friend of mine. He kept me waiting in Barry's room meeting for lunch, and he never showed up. And I was waiting nearly an hour, and eventually. Um, I sent a text I thought I was sending it to Paul I said that that eejit yeah. that, I probably said words worse than that I sat here for an hour he never showed up and he's just sent me a text now saying he can't make it what a dick or something yeah and I sent the text to oh, him oh mortified that kind of mistake yes that kind of mistake 
if anyone has done anything like that let us know alright okay uh, don't worry ladies and gentlemen I will continue to harass her and we'll find out who she sent the ex kisses to or the kisses to don't you worry I won't give up on this another thing that we're not giving up on is Eurovision because the first of the semi-finals is tonight tonight in Rotterdam now we need to get through the semi-finals to get into Saturday's final will we do it I don't know. The Irish singer is Leslie Roy. The song is called Maps. I've never heard it before. Perhaps you haven't either. Let's have a listen, shall we, to Ireland's Eurovision song 2021. Here it is. Maps. Is that it? Another 10 seconds of this. That's it, I guess. Leslie Roy and Maps. Maybe that's the kind of song that wins Eurovision. Who am I to judge? It sounds, it, as we'd say, it's grand, isn't it? It's grand. What do you think of it? Text 0868104106. Sounds to me as there's an awful lot going on in the song. It's a really busy, busy song, but maybe that's me. That's just maybe the way uh, Eurovision songs are designed and crafted now to win the Eurovision. So, semi-final tonight. That's the Irish entry, Maps by Leslie Roy. And, of course... We'll all be rooting for her. What was your favourite Eurovision song of all time? Text 0868104106 on that as well. And we'll play out on whatever song is the most highly sought after. So your favourite Eurovision song doesn't even have to be Eurovision winner. Your favourite Eurovision song. And if we can find it, we'll give it a spin. And we'll finish with that song just before midday today. So text 0868104106. The first of the semifinals tonight. Uh, and Marty will be doing the business. Total pro that he is tonight on RTE 8 o'clock. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six for all other business. Trevor standing by. First up, Deborah, good morning. Good morning. Okay, so I was talking to Anne about this scam that involves actually hijacking the bank's emails. Sorry, the bank's texts. I hope you had an opportunity to hear that because that's pretty scary. Yeah. What, what happened to you? Um, so about two days ago, I started getting phone calls from different OA3 numbers. It's always an OA3 number, but they're different. And they're saying they're from the Social Protection. They're saying they're from the HSC. And there's one even said that they were from the Gardaí. What do the messages say? They're automatic calls. So when you answer the phone, you can hear this kind of a robotic robotic, uh, voice. So they'll say, oh, this message is from the Department of Social Protection or from the HSC. Now, I didn't listen to the whole message. I kind of hung up once I know that it's kind of a robotic. Yeah. But within an hour, then you get another phone call from a different number, but it's still away three. And it's another recorded robotic voice, is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, also... I imagine that people would need to be very careful now. They might start getting texts saying, we're contacting you from the HSE. The cyber attack on our system has made your file vulnerable. Click on this link. You know, that's probably going to be the next yeah, one, would you think? A, my mum actually got a text last week from a number saying that um, your your payment for your disability search is now up and to reactivate it to go on this link. So someone who was on a payment and they had to send in their medical cert, they might think that it's, it's a genuine message. Oh, man, you just, you just can't. You know what Pat Phelan was saying yesterday? Respond to no email, click on no link, answer no phone call if you don't know, if you don't recognise the name. Yeah, yeah. And like the I even there, you know, I even tried to ring back the number just to see. And if you ring back the number, then it says this number is not in service. Yeah, well, at least you did that. You know, yeah. you know. 
and they're 083 so you think oh well that's got to be 083 numbers yeah. every but, single one of them is an 083 number yeah and who's going to be contacting you on a mobile number from the Department of Health or the Department of Social Welfare nobody yeah. they're yeah. not going to be calling you from a mobile my mum when she got the text they said they're not going to text you from an 083 number unfortunately the older generation might be that little more gullible you know yeah you know so just to make people aware of Good it. for you, I, thanks, I, I, Des- I never listen to the whole call, so I don't know what way it goes, whether they're looking for car details or what. I just hung up straight away. Like listen to the next one. It. Listen to the next one for me. I will, I will, and I'll let Brenda know. Thanks so much, Deborah. Have a good day. Trevor, good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, scammers, um, what's your story on this? So I was listening to the... You're, uh, you were talking about a caller earlier who had uh, these text messages coming or purporting to come from AIB or so or one of the other. Yes, and they came and in her thread of old texts from the AIB, legitimate ones, the scam one appeared. So the thing about that is AIB don't send text messages from an actual mobile number. And it's possible to send text messages with, you know, from letters if you're a mobile operator or you contract with a company that is working with a mobile operator there are companies out there that provide the service well for companies like aib or for ryanair or for anyone that might want to send customers legitimate text messages say for letting you know that your flight's delayed yeah and it's possible to simply say okay i'll sign up to this service and i want to send messages as boi or aib or whatever and there's no verification, there's no authentication, there's no way for the person running the service to, you know, kind of check that you are who you say you are and, and, and make sure that you're not pretending to be somebody else. So spoofing, as somebody else had mentioned about it, is exactly what this is. And it's not difficult to do if you have the right bit of know-how. You can also do the same thing with phone numbers. Um, which is why you could make a phone call appear to be coming from your local data station and you could be in somewhere else completely different. Amazing. And you can sign up. There are service providers who will do this and allow you to do this unknowing to them that you're actually using an existing legitimate service. Correct. Isn't that amazing? That Why why don't they know that you're a chancer or a spoofer or a scam artist? They probably find out fairly quickly and then cut you off. But then, you know, there'll be other services that'll pop up that'll provide the service to them so they can just keep, you know, popping providers or changing numbers. It's why scam calls are so difficult to track down a block because as soon as you, you know, it's like whack-a-mole. As soon as you kill one organization or a telecom provider that's, you know, providing service to the scammer, they just move to somebody else. And they're well, they're well, they kind of have done their research to know how to kind of exploit loopholes in their system. And uh, it, it is, it's not as much of a problem, I think, in Europe as it is in the United States if you hear about so-called robocalling and the telemarketers and they do very similar tricks as well we tend to take a much more proactive step. If you report those messages to the bank, to the mobile operators, they will investigate those. They will, in the background, try and squash them. They may not tell you publicly because they don't want to give away that they're onto somebody, but they do They do take that seriously. Yeah, but what, do they, what happens, for instance, if you respond to something and you think it is the bank and the message appears in the same thread of other messages from your bank, you click on it and you lose... 500 euro or a grand from your account do you know if the bank gives you that money back off the top of my head I would I wouldn't I would hope they would and I would expect that if you contact them and say you've been the victim of you know clear and obvious fraud that they will be on your side about that the A or B I know 
quite regularly send out uh, notifications saying, look, uh, don't respond to any text messages. We'll never ask you for your account number. We'll never ask you for your PIN number. We'll never ask you for any of this information. Don't give out your login details to your online banking to anybody when it's asked by a text message. Your bank will never ask for this. Bank of Ireland, I know, have been running adverse advising the same thing to their customers. And but ho- customers but here's the advice. confusion you see. If I do uh, an online purchase and I bank, mm-hmm. with, and I bank with permanent TSB, they will send me a text to authorize the payment online. And, they, and I have a six-digit code. And they will ask me for three different numbers from the six-digit code. So banks do ask for a PIN, parts of your but PIN. That, the difference is that's a random six digits that they generate just for that transaction, just for you to say, yes, I have this. This is my legitimate bank card that I'm using to buy this particular product, service, or otherwise. Um, but what you what they won't ask you for is, say, your username and password to log into your online banking to get access to your account. No, they won't do that. No, I suppose the point I'm making is that people get confused when they do get texts from their bank, legitimate ones. They get confused and when they see a scam and they think it's legit as well. Unfortunately, that is the case. And I touch would not be the victim of that myself, but I, am, but I have gotten messages that have definitely made me stop and double check and, you know, hang on, is that actually legitimate or not? And then there are moments when even I can be a little bit unsure, and I've, and that's the same with emails. You know, you can sometimes not realise you've clicked on the wrong link, and gotcha. you very quickly kind of walk back. As my uncle would say, it can happen to a bishop. It can happen to a bishop is right. Appreciate it, Trevor. Thank you so much. Text 0868104106 on the cyber attack then. Some texts from yesterday. Isn't it amazing the pay rises that were so important to give themselves in government and throughout the public service over the last 12 months? And now it turns out they wouldn't even spend the money to secure and protect patients at the very least. People are referencing what seems to have been an archaic digital um, tech system in the HSE. I work in IT security in the public sector. The pay in this section is extremely low compared to the IT security in the private sector. I know of at least 10 people who have left the public sector for better pay and conditions in the private sector. This has led to a massive brain drain from the public sector and left every public sector IT extremely vulnerable. That is a scary warning. Morning, it's all part of the Great great Reset. It will take more than a year. The World Economic Forum predicted this a year ago, as well as the scandemic. Next, we will need an app to board a train where the government can track you. Then the crashing of the economy will be next, and after that, starvation. Pat says, I never answer any phone number. Blocked or I don't recognise. If they want to talk to me, they'll ring again or leave a message. Uh, Morning, these guys that hijacked the HSC for ransom will have to wait two years for an appointment. (laughs) If you want to avoid being hit like the HSC, use VPN protocol um, and set it to Russia. Hackers rarely attack Russian systems in case they're friends of Uncle Vlad, says Paddy. The Garda Pulse system is at at least 15 years out of date. And our dispatch system, about 20 years old, makes you think, doesn't it? Says a serving Garda. That is scary. If the I'm, Okay, you're saying the pulse system is 15 years out of date, as opposed to the pulse system is 15 years old. It's 15 years out of date, um, which means that pulse could be vulnerable next. Criminal records. If they, and that would be scary. When if the HSC was a private company, that we were now facing a 20 million euro fine from the data commissioner. But they are not public, private I should say, they're public, and are exempt from data breach fines. Really? 
No one should answer an unknown phone number. Once you do, they can get into your phone and extract your personal info, um, says Jerry. I just checked following Pat Phelan's warning and it says that I too have been breached. Pat Phelan was telling you you should check your email uh, online. I'll give you the details of how you can do that in a few minutes' time. And people have been doing it and they say that they were breached. This attack sets the HSE back 20 years. I see. So they're now 40 years behind. Is that the case? (sighs) Says Frick. This was so flagged on TV by a doctor at the start of contact tracing in 2020. She said she was using a filing system as it would not update files. Uh, It was on the Tonight Show at the time on Primetime. I remember saying, wow, the HSE is a really old system and they're getting salary increases. Typical Ireland. And that's just a selection of of, uh, texts. We'll come back to more throughout the course of the morning. But what about sending a text that you either regretted or sending the wrong text? Keep those coming. Text 0868104106. Uh, actually, is, is it Kate has gone or Noelle? No, okay. Both are gone. Lines are down for a minute or two. We'll just take a break. Come back to calls after these. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850 Red FM. Right to be Noel. Good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? I'm a man, right? So you have to go very slowly because I read your texts and I got I got dizzy. So bear in mind there are men listening and we, we need to explain a little bit slower. I killed Brenda. I told her I didn't want to come on. No, it's a great it's a great story, but there's there's lots of different people involved in this, right? I got I got dizzy, but it's a great story. So go ahead. Um, I was going to college there a few years ago, and a very good friend of mine in my class. Um, we were, we were night students, so we were all married with kids. And um, she went into shopping and she bought some nice, sexy underwear for herself. So she said she texted her husband to let him know, kind of give him the heads up. And um, she sent it to her son's music teacher. Kisses, the whole shebang. What? <laughs> the photograph? The whole, um, not the photograph, just the whole text. Like, kisses and I've got the sexy underwear, whatever. I'm not going to go into all the details. But anyway, she thought she was texting her husband and she sent it to the music teacher. So, Do, um, why, do wives send husbands those kind of texts? <laughs> all the time, Neil. Come on. <laughs> so, the, the music teacher, male or female? Male. Oh, I love it. Oh, my God. I was even cringing listening to her telling the story. So what's part two of the story? Did he respond or did she ever meet him or was she mortal or what? Um, Oh, mortal. Mortal, yeah. Yeah. Of course she met him. Sure, the child was going to music all the time every week. Um, Mortal. But I'm going to say I can't say any more because she might be listening. Oh, my God. Okay, Neve. What's the other one about being hormonal and pregnant? That's not me. <laughs> have, a, have a listen to this then. It's Your name is above it. It says here. No I, way. I, I, okay, I know, I know. But you want to hear it anyway. I, I was feeling hormonal and sorry for myself when I was pregnant. And you'll see now why I got dizzy. I was feeling hormonal and sorry for myself when I was pregnant. And I met one of my close friends who had met up with a group of other friends of mine who I felt blanked me as they passed. She stopped to chat And when she left, I texted another close friend saying how the others had ignored me and how she had been all over me. I then realized it was a group WhatsApp between two close friends and me. I had sent it to the girl I was bitching about in the old WhatsApp days. You couldn't delete it. So I had to wait for the two blue ticks to confirm that she'd read it. I waited for two hours in her office afterwards to apologize. And she was so nice to me about it. It just made it worse. She's still my bestie, though. 
I, I can follow the back end of it, but the start of it, there was an awful lot of people passing each other on the street. <laughs> I, that definitely wasn't me, neither, Mr. God. No, it wasn't you, but could you God, follow all of that? Um, I, to, be, to be honest, I got a bit confused at the start, but I can see where it's coming from. They're all passing each other on the street, like. <laughs> oh, and then she no. sent a text oh. about somebody being a bit of a B-atch, and she sent it to the B-atch. <laughs> Yeah, I think we've all done it, like, haven't we? In some shape or form, but not that. No, your no. friend your friend with the sexy underwear text is the best I've ever heard. And to be honest, like, she's sex on legs anyway herself. She's sex on her. legs, it makes it worse. She is. <laughs> I'm done. Uh, bye. <laughs> Could you beat that? What if we come up with a great prize? If we come up with some extra pizza or something on Friday from Oakfire for the best text that was sent that you live to regret or sent in error. That would be a hard one to beat, mind you. Anyway, back to the phone lines. Kate, good morning. Hi, how are you doing? Okay, man? back to scams again. This is 083. What was it? Yeah, 083 number. Now, it's happened about three times, right? Yeah. In the last two weeks. Yeah. So it's kind of an average once a week it happens. And uh, yeah, so they just ring and they give you this, it's a recording and they're giving you this whole speed. Now, it's been three different things, but it's all around the same kind of lines. Um, the Department of Public Protection. There was all oh, one of us. There was a warrant out for my arrest. Oh, for, for God's uh, sake! Tell me more about that one. Oh God, it's mad, right? So, I'll be quite honest. You know, I get a great kick out of them because, um, like, don't get me wrong. Now, I adore you, and I adore your show, Neil. I'd be lost without you. Like, I really would. But, but I radio, I channel hop a lot. Like, so I'm sure it's Patricia Messenger. That's and fine. Well, share the love, girl. Yeah, I'm yeah. okay with that. <laughs> And they were going on, but she was talking about the scam. And I knew, like, it sounded very, you know, like what was going on with my phone. The next thing, there was a warrant out for my arrest in relation to a drug thing. One time was, but, and then day one for the um, leading detective inspector on the case. Right. Was this a text or was it a was it an automated oh, voice? It was voice recording. It was voice recording. Press one to speak to the detective, is it? Yeah, I'm very nervous now, so I might be speaking very fast. Go on. Go on. So, that, yes, that was fine, anyway. So, um, do I want to speak to the detective inspector? So, I did anyway, right? And, do I say anyway, he answered the phone. And the three number now, so he answered the phone. And, as you've noticed, it wasn't like an Irish chap. Do you know, like, he was definitely a foreign national, some, I like probably Eastern well, how do you they, you, might, you never know because you could have people there are people in the Irish Army Guards now that are from overseas you know so. oh I know but his accent was extremely strong now right so he says to me uh, can I get your full name and PPS number oh here we go yeah and I was not see when he listened to me I say if there's a warrant up for my arrest <laughs> what are you really need to tell me like <laughs> so, but they want it so they can catch you <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just giving you the heads up there. You're under Sorry, arrest, you're, you're, we have a warrant out for your arrest. Would you ever tell us where you are so we can come and arrest yeah. you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I thought so. Not very funny. So I didn't say it anyway. So I was like, what? And he said, so I said, you know what? No, I said, what's your name? <laughs> and he said, that's no, silenced him, right? And he said, uh, David Brown, like this, right? So I said, all right, so David Brown. Uh, I said, can I get your, um, I said, can I get your, uh, your your work identification number for the uh, government department you're working for. Yeah, yeah. And then he, he said, um, pardon? And I repeated myself. Then I went very quiet and I could hear him talking to somebody in the background and then I was just cut off. They hung up. They hung up on you, you see. Wouldn't yeah, it be great I if... You, I know. 
you, if you'd played along, though, you could have had a right old laugh off him. Oh, yeah, I see. I keep wanting to play along. And then I get nervous because you do hear things that, like, you see, the thing is, they're asking for your PPS number, your address, your date of birth, right? Yeah. But the thing is, people say, look, if you stay on, they can hack into your phone and get information. Oh, if they keep you on hold long enough. Well, I haven't yeah. heard of that yet, but nothing would surprise yeah, me. Do so, you know, but the thing is, I don't, I don't do any online banking on my phone. I literally use my phone for phone calls, texts and photographs and nothing else because of all the hacking. I, I, I keep all that, my online banking, all that I keep on like my tablet at home on my laptop, never on my phone. Yeah, I know, I know, but like many of us do, you see, like even if you're I buying, because everything has got it, got a, everything now has an equivalent phone app. But wouldn't it be great to know what crime they wanted you to arrest them, wanted to arrest you for? Because if they oh, probably would have. Yeah, sorry, no, one was um, for a drug, another oh. one was for, um, it was, it, it, I don't know, I'm trying to remember, it was like. Like if you were a drug dealer. Some sort of fraud or something like that, like, you know. But if you were a drug drug dealer, you're hardly going to ring the guard or the detective investigating your case. You know, I thought it was very funny. Like, they were very amateur in the whole way they did the whole lot. Like, you know. And the first morning it happened, I came home, I was out for my walk, and I was back at home for about, I don't know, half night. And when I got back home, there was three missed calls on my phone, all the way to three mobile, and they're all from Mallow. They all said Mallow. Wow. Really? So I, I rang them all. Yeah, I was kind of God, who's why no one Mallow? Like, I thought we just waited to see if I was thinking cheaper. So I rang back, um, and the second one I rang back, it was kind of like an elderly old chap, like an Irish man, and like, not so lovely, and I was, you know, like, is that a phobic or anything like that? Like, but you know, yeah. like, where you're trying to place the person or whatever, like, but yeah. He said to me, I said, there's no famous caller from this number. He said, God, no, girl. He said, there's only two people in this house. And he said, nobody's been on the phone all morning. That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. I'm going to tell you why. In the the last six months, right, I've been getting different missed calls from 087 or 086 numbers or what have you. And it appears on my phone, sometimes two or three times in the day. My phone is on silent. Must I miss most calls? So I call everybody back. Um, because maybe I just maybe it's work related or something and yeah. on two or three occasions I've called back missed calls and every single time I get on the, I get a, the phone gets answered by a guy with a, a very strong Dublin accent he's, de- he's a genuine guy it's his phone but he swears blind and this is two or three different guys with strong Dublin accents they swear blind that they never called me and I've said to them I, I understand what you're saying but your number appeared on my phone two or three times, so somebody dialed me. And, and the last guy said to me, what was the word he used? I think he used the word pal or something, or mate. He said, listen to me, mate. I didn't call you, right? And how? Yeah. So he didn't call me, but someone's using his number to try and, you know... That's exactly... To engage in a scam. Yeah, that's exactly what happened that morning. So I said, geez, when I said, look... I said, I'm sorry, now to Bobby, I said, have a nice morning, but the only reason I said I'm joining is because you came up on my missed calls in the red, you know, in your recent? Yeah. Red missed call, and I said, that's the only reason. I said, look, I'm, again, sorry, but not to Bobby, he said these things happen. No, so it's, what has happened is somebody's harvested, right? somebody's harvested his number. number. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. So the third number in that morning, I, I rang that one back. Play along the next time they want to arrest you for fraud or whatever, will you? Yeah, yeah. We'll have a bit I more know, fun like, with it. It's 
three times now it's happened to me um, for fraud, for different variants. Like, yeah, there was one of the stuck out because, and then it was a girl. And the third time now I got really annoyed with them and it was a young girl. Um, same kind of, you know, you know, like that now, I don't know where she was from, but she didn't sound, you know, she didn't sound, she certainly didn't sound from Cork. Nah, they're all overseas. They're all overseas. Well, well actually, when, when that day, when I listened to Prish Messenger, they were saying they were from Tunisia. Yeah, it can be anywhere. Yeah, and I suppose yeah. you know if it's not already happening in Ireland, it will be happening in Ireland because everybody will cotton on to the vulnerability of people. Yeah, they can send some cards and stuff like that from Ireland, right? And let's say now you went to Tunisia on your holidays, or you know the way like your phone will tell you on the plane that you're going over to one of their networks. Yeah. So that's what they do then with their phone. So they put their own network on an Irish SIM card, something like that. Or they must be able to work it out, like you know. Yeah, I don't know, but the third one in that I rang back, I rang back the third number and he um, oh yeah, I caught out and stopped ringing, like it went engaged straight away, but they rang me back straight away. Wow. They rang me back, like, straight away. What do they want? Um, like that, now they were from the Department of Social Protection. Which doesn't even exist, we don't even have a Department of Social Protection. Yeah, yeah. all this kind of thing. And what do they want? Oh, like that now, um, could they have my number? My name, my PPS number, and my date of birth. They want your information, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they want your information. Yeah, and with your PPS number, your date of birth, and your address, they can apply for all sorts of stuff. And I literally just hung up. I just hung up, you know, I was afraid. And then, it was after that, then I heard the interview with Patricia Messenger, and then, then, as it happened, then another two times after that. But I actually got on to my local sergeant, Timmy. And um, I text Jimmy about it just to let him know that, look, this is going on. You know? You said, come here to me. Yeah, no, Timmy. <laughs> yeah, come here to me. Come here to me. <laughs> I know his name is Timmy. Go on, go on. I don't... Um, I'll talk, talk to you I later. Know. Well done. We covered a lot of ground, a lot of stories. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Take I'm care. Scared. Yeah, that's it. Oh, sorry. Leave me go. Go on, Take care. Bye, Kate. Lines open at 1850 Some people are just maybe multiple calls, multiples. And Kate, obviously, that clearly that must be the one same group operating all sorts of different Swizzes at the same time. Anyway, text 0868104106 to the phone lines we go. Justin, good morning. Morning, Neil. How things? I'm good. Um, share with me your story. It involved an estate agent, was it? Yeah, so it was a text I actually received, not one I sent out. Yeah. So, um, we go back to 2014, um, buying my first house in the middle of the purchase, and my solicitor wouldn't close the sale until she received uh, a letter. She needed a particular letter. Were you buying or selling? Buying, buying a house. Okay. So, buying my first house, and... Um, Time was dragging on, there was no sign of this letter. So I rang the auctioneer, who I will keep nameless for uh, <laughs> embarrassment. <laughs> the mortification of and, it. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, rang him and I said, Look, what's the latest in the update? And it was, No, no, nothing yet, nothing yet. And there happened to be two or three other houses in the, in the same estate for sale. So I said, Look, time is getting on. I said, There are other properties in the estate. So I said, Look, if, if there's no sign of this letter, I said, I might have to explore other, other options. And Buy another house, and, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. it was, yeah, 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 sure, look, I'll see what I can do. So I hung up anyway, and I was outside Teva Pharmaceuticals in Waterford in the truck. I can remember exactly where I was. And uh, 30 seconds later, my phone goes off, and I got a text message from the auctioneer. <laughs> and the text read, that langer is going to pull out of Wien if he doesn't get the letter. <laughs> 
And, uh, you know, initial shock um, at it, which quickly turned to, right, how can I use this to my advantage? So I gathered my thoughts, stopped laughing. I text back saying, I'm Blanger with the money. And I got a huge text of apologies um, saying, I'm under enormous pressure to get to this house. Gladly, blast. And a week later, I closed because the sale. I got it was the best sale. text that was ever sent to you because it yeah. it expedited the sale, and you got your house. But no, yeah. no amount of apologies will ever undo that. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. You could have called me worse. I suppose <laughs> Langer is, is a is a popular name in Cork. I've been called worse, mind he's, you. But, he's, uh, he's clearly a Cork auctioneer, then. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So mild, one of the ones in so mild. But I say no more. Town in Cork, he'd be known as a langer. <laughs> the langer. That's, uh, that's, uh, yeah, I've, I've been driving around there listening to him, and I just thought it's something that I'll never forget. That is a gem. Is that that, about it, but, that uh, is a gem, Justin. Thank you so much for sharing it. No Appreciate it. Take care. Take care. We'll organise some pizza for the best one. That's right up there, along with the negligee test or the neg. Negligees, or the sexy negligee test that was text, I should say, that was sent to her son's music teacher <laughs> back after 11. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Okay, just ahead of the news, just a couple of quick texts here. Not a text, but an email. I applied for a job a few years back and emailed in my CV. The person I emailed was Regina. I pressed send and unknown to me, autocorrect changed Regina to vagina. When I saw it, I nearly died of embarrassment. Suffice to say, I didn't get the job, says Michelle. Can't come on air at work. It's a pity, but it's a super, super, super story. God damn autocorrect, huh? I wonder if that happened to Regina all her life. Uh, The worst text I've ever been caught out with was texting my husband one night while he was at work, telling him how I was ready for when he came home and what he was to expect. Without going into too much detail, it was for his eyes only. I ended up sending it to my daughter's soccer coach. (laughs) And not my husband. I nearly died as I saw it sending, you know... It's sending, and for those couple of seconds, you think that, you're, firstly, your world's going to end, and it's as if it's in slow motion, right? Uh, I saw it sending. I apologized straight away and just thought, you know what? After being together for 23 years, we've still got it, so that can't be too bad. Sending sexy texts after 23 years. What did the soccer coach make of it, though? Did he text back? I mean, what's part two of the story like? Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Now, that cyber attack that we've been all talking about, uh, that's no scam. That's no spoof. That's the real McCoy. And uh, the CUH, or at least the CUMH, have sent me another update and I thank them for it. They um, just want to keep people in the loop on everything's happening regarding uh, our hospital service here in Cork and the cyber attack. And they're saying the ongoing cyber attack on the HSE's IT system has resulted in considerable delays at Cork University Maternity Hospital and on the hospital's ability to deliver normal outpatient services. Uh, This challenging situation is ongoing. As a result, management at CUMH wish to advise that gynae clinics have been cancelled for this week. Online classes 
cancelled until further notice. The emergency department remains open and phone call bookings are going ahead. Inductions of labour, C-sections, gynaecological elective operations, antenatal, physiotherapy, neonatology outpatients appointments are all going ahead this week. But delays are likely as a result of the current IT situation. Management apologised for the inconvenience, wish to reassure the public that uh, patients at this UMH are receiving appropriate care. So that's the latest, um, and that's particularly um, a statement with the CUMH in mind, the CUMH. And you know, this is not in any way critical of the frontline staff, those who are dealing at the cold face of medicine. Um, it's, um, you know, they have to deal with the situation now because of this cyber attack, and we all need to bear that in mind. Lines are open at one 106 text 0868 Just to let you know that I took the 140 bus from Castle Marta yesterday to go shopping in the city. Bad form on bus errand. The Waterford Yall to Cork buses are wrecks. They're a health hazard to passengers, the state of them. They're furnished with filthy, broken seats, rubbish on the floor, and to my disgust, the seat I was about to sit on today was wet with God knows what. Last week, there was no physically, there was physically no seat whatsoever, just a broken frame where a seat used to be. Bus Aaron, in particular the Cork County Bus Management governing East Cork, had ample time to clean up their act and their buses and did nothing. I'm afraid to travel on the filthy buses now for fear of picking up tetanus or worse, let alone COVID-19. The buses are disgusting. The driver sits in these mobile tips all day long. It's no wonder. It's a wonder how they don't bring tetanus, head lice or other illnesses home to their families. Bus Aaron, clean your act up when it comes to the buses coming east. So this is Bus Aaron and their services from Waterford to Yall to Cork. I hope you get to read this out on air, Neil. And I have done. You know, you talk about a, a wet seat. It reminded me... Um, and that is serious. I mean, they need to clean their act up and sort those damn buses out. But you talk about wet patches. Has anybody seen this latest fashion trend? It's a pair of jeans with a wet patch on the front. Seriously, fake damp patches on the front of the jeans that makes the wearer look like they've wet themselves. Um, they're called the wet pants dry feel. Denim trousers, jeans. 60 euro going, going once, going twice, gone. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Yeah, there'll be a bit of a lash of rain, all right, just after lunch. Uh, nothing huge, nothing torrential, I think. Oh, I'm not wrong on this, but uh, there is some rain off the west of Ireland. But uh, the Welsh are going to get that, I think, as opposed to us. We will get showers, one or two of them. Could be slightly heavier for about an hour or two from about one o'clock onwards. You know, talking about numbers, I'm asking you to also text your favourite Eurovision song ever. We'll play out in it this morning and Mark has also put together a montage of Ireland Eurovision winners uh, going way back, way back to 1970. So we'll play out on that as well. So your favourite Eurovision song, text 0868104106. We got extra pizza uh, this day and indeed tomorrow because uh, I'm going to take calls today and some more tomorrow the most embarrassing or funny text that you got or sent. There's a couple of them. There's three of them that stand out at the moment. Two of them are sexy related ones that were supposed to be for the husband. One went to a, a soccer coach and the other went to a music teacher and the other one was the 
real estate auctioneer who called the buyer Langer and thinking that he was sending the text to the seller. That Langer is on looking for the letter. So keep those coming. Text 0868104106. You never know. You could be uh, serving up some piping hot pizza for your troubles. Meanwhile, Frank, good morning. Good morning, mate. How are you? Now, years ago, uh, your brother was living on the north side and uh, was down in Blackpool having a jar, is it? Yeah, he was in Barbara's name. Won't give you a second name. All right. His <laughs> family mightn't like it. But he was down there very again having a drink. You know, he's like his old point, you know. Yeah. And he, the wife said, where are you going? I'm going for a walk, you know, all this kind of business. And he went down to the pub, but if you drink, what you find, whatever, you know. Yeah. And she, she was watching Coronation Street or something. And now till everything came. Taxi for Finbar, collecting from the Beer Haven Bar in Blackpool. <laughs> So he came for up. She said, where were you? I was rock. You were near on the very end. She said, what? Yeah, the, 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 the radio, the taxi radio uh, was the base in the north, right? Yeah. And he's come to he's come to the televisions and the radios <laughs> and that, you know. <laughs> the interference, the interference from the taxi company's radio used to come on people's TV. <laughs> That's it, yeah. They, like they said, taxi from Neil there. We just say, say you were looking at like, oh, taxi from Neil there. He's loud to bring him up. <laughs> <laughs> so he came home, but she, she'd have probably smelt it off him anyway. But he came home. Uh, where were you? Oh, I was just went for a walk. But of course, yeah, she yeah. knew because the call out for the taxi was broadcast on our television. <laughs> Came out through the way, came out through the television. Yeah. You're on your lap, she said, You're on the way here, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh my <laughs> God. Not moving like. Happy days, boy. <laughs> Happy days. That's a great one. Appreciate it, Frank. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers, Thank my you. man. Bye-bye. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. You know, Cork humour, boy. Cork nostalgia. You just can't beat it. And there's a guy who apparently is the gold standard when it comes to nostalgia, stories of Cork, and memories of yesteryear. That man's name is Dennis Coffey. And I want to apologise first because uh, I've postponed him a couple of times but he's still happy and willing to chat with me. Dennis, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Lovely talking to you, pal. Lovely talking to you. And we'll get to the early memories of television in a few minutes' time. But I'm intrigued to know a little more of your life, yeah? Because I hear tell that you were born in the middle parish. Is that right? Yeah, I was born in Queen's Place, uh, Neil. A very busy thoroughfare, you know, back then. You know, Now, because, um, Queen's Place, where is that? No, that's where the new uh, labour exchange is, as we call it. We still call it the old labour exchange. You know, it's just on Clark's Bridge there. Is that uh, Hanover? Is that Hanover Street? No, no, just above it. Just above it, actually. Uh, amazingly enough, the factory that was there was called the Hanover, and that actually you was part of that building was in and top of Queen's Place at the end. You know, and there was a it was owned by the Wires at the time, a, a major employer. Okay. Um, did they make boots? Did they make boots? Yeah, or? they did. Yeah, they did boots. Yeah, they did. There was a finishing factory. There you go. And there was the Hanover. So Queen's well, Place was it a terrace? Was it a terrace of Victorians oh, that ended up house, yeah, terrace houses? Yeah. Okay. Were they were torn down? Victorian houses. Were they torn down? All they were, unfortunately, preservation orders weren't a thing that time. Well, I when I got a bit older, all right, I got involved in Share Street, and they were saved and. Uh, Queen's Place should have been saved as well. It was, it was tragic that they were taken down. And can I ask you, happened. when you were born there? All the 50s. And what did you have the whole house or was it a floor in the house? Oh, was yeah, eventually. Well, before that, we hadn't. Um, if you go back years before that, it was shared by maybe 14, 15, 16 families. Oh, can um, you imagine it? I was born, 
in the late 50s, um, it was shared, you know, by a couple of families. We were very fortunate. When I came around, there was just two families, um, my mother, my father, and my grandmother. Um, you know, we had frequent visitors there, like Holy Joe, um, Andy Gall, and the great General Tom Barry, because my grandmother was in Cumbernamon, and Tom Barry used to call to the terrace, and did nearly genuflect when he'd come in, you know? I know, yeah. Now, I was young at the time, but I got, I befriended him as I got older. And his wife, Ed Leslie DeBarra. You know, they were marvellous people, you know. We had midwives there, you know, storytellers. It was incredible, Neil. It was an incredible place. But the middle parish that time was a hub of activity because you had a lot of factories. You had Hearts, Heaslips, the ancient Crawford. You know, you had uh, the Wires, as I said, the Leboot, uh, the Hanover. You know, huge employers, thousands of people working. Oh, there. thousands of people. Like at that time, a lot of people used to come home for their dinner because they lived locally. And uh, you'd see the hustle and bustle at lunchtime. We used to come home from school from, as kids as well. You know, that's the way it was. And most of the people at that time would be hurrying home for the Kennedys of Castle Ross. On the radio at around one thirty or something, oh, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. That was big. Pat it was around. the Irish version of the Archers, wasn't it? And make no mistake about it, which was big stuff like, and they believed every word of it, you know, the people, if they only knew in later years that, well, some of them had passed on, but in later years, like, it was all stages, you know, but people actually believed that they lived in a village in Castle Ross and all this went on, you know, it was very exciting stuff, That's you know? right, and they still do to this day, because, you know, radio has a fabulous way of you painting the pictures for yourself, you see, rather than watching oh, a screen. I come back to, invaluable too. I'll come back to screens, though. So, I, we, we know, of course, of the great Tom Barry. Holy Joe and Andy Gaw. Holy oh, Joe. Yeah. They, was, was, they were terrific characters. Why was he called and, Holy Joe? Yeah, well, it was just the name he got. I, I don't know where the, the name originated from, but he always had a rosary bead. And I think, you know, in Cork, like, no one, even, even besides Holy Joe, no one grew up with a real name. They always shortened your name, you know. Um, you know, there was nicknames everywhere. And it was a pastime for people. Would they come in for a cup you know. of tea, the likes of himself and Andy Gaw? And the rancher well, as well, who who said, burn, wasn't it, burn the rancher's blocks, wasn't it? Oh, that, yeah, the rancher, that's right. And Johnny Papers and Mary the Cats. And well, Holy Joe's sister, Dom Dom, lived in Queen's Place. Dom Dom. Dom Dom, that was her name. God help her, she was lovely. She lived in the, she lived in the basement. She was partially blind, and if you excuse my expression, it was called the Blind Asylum at the time, over by the Victoria Hospital. Go away. They used to make baskets. Go away. And that's what she used to do, and she'd sell them. She was a lovely woman. She lived in the late 80s. When she died, actually, we took over the basement and opened one of the first boxing clubs um, by a community uh, called Queen's Boxing Club. I sent that to Mick O'Brien there recently, the president of the Cork Boxers Association. Um, we opened the boxing club there. Made about fifteen or sixteen members in the basement. Building all gone now. The house is all gone. But oh, were there two women born in the eighteen hundreds that lived there or adjacent? Yeah, you to had you had Nora Spillane, Nora Spillane, and Mrs. O'Sullivan. Now they believed Mrs. O'Sullivan came from the west of Ireland originally, and she moved in towards Limerick and then to Cork. Now she had great stories about the fairies, and she showed us a photograph one time of her brother, and brothers uh, dressed in had dresses. In those days, they believed that uh, the fairies would take boys, that they wouldn't take girls. Get away. So you had those stories. And then Norris Balan, uh, Norris Balan's claim to fame was that she was born on the 1st of July, 1879, the same as birth as Tom Barry. She came in from outside Ratmore in Kerry, originally, and she had stories about the Banshee. Like, so, like, 
you had all those stories going on with these people, marvellous people. I'm, I'm privileged to have grown up in their presence. But did she all, did she experience a banshee? Was she one of those that oh heard? Yeah, she did the stories. With, yeah, she gave one great story. Well, she gave a number of them, really, but one of them that she was coming home one night, she, she worked for a farmer, a local farmer, and coming home up the road, she heard a banshee. And she went home, she told her mother, and two days later, her grandmother, who was very healthy at the time, apparently, died two days later. So the cry of the banshee was um, kind of... If someone was to die, the banshee would, would would call out, and you know you had all those kind of things. Like I was speaking to Eddie Lennon, you you know the famous I Eddie do, Lennon, I do. Up there in Clare, yeah. years ago about um, Mrs. O'Sullivan's story and the the, the the little boys wearing dresses, and he confirmed all that. You know he's a great character and um, amazing stuff, Neil. So like, you know the midwives were very important in those days as well. My sister was born at home in Queens Place, and uh, Abby Barry, she was one of the local midwives. So, like, you know, it was just a great place to grow up, Neil. You know, I, the salt of the earth people. And, you, and then you see they started building Cathedral Road and Ballyfehan and people started moving out of the city. That's it. So, yeah. you yeah. know... And they started tearing down those buildings that had turned to tenements, money of them. And, of course, we, you know, we got... Like, one of, one of the more upsetting, distressing demolitions was the Doll's House. You remember that? Oh, the Doll's House in Bachelor's Key. Yeah, my grandmother spoke about that several times. Did she? Yeah, yeah. you see... Preservation orders weren't there, Neil, and by the time they did get around to it, an awful lot of destruction had been done. Yeah. Well, we must remember, too, a lot of destruction was done during the Civil War. I'm writing a story on that there for uh, a, a, an American group there at the moment, Friends of Ireland, and a lot of buildings were destroyed. Yeah, but the Dawes House had nothing to do with war or civil war. It was just desecration. It was just torn down. Yeah, I think, was wasn't there? Nobody wanted to take it over or something, wasn't it? Well, it was kind of coming towards the end of the time and they just wanted to burden these houses, you know, and the castles and stuff like that. So it was, it was just a form of, a slight form of vandalism without incriminating anybody. It was just sad, you know, they just wanted to get rid of the the British. Was that it? Ireland. Was that it? You know, yeah. so, you know, as I said, like with Tom Barry and Holy Joe, Andy Gaw. There was others um, though, Born Free, Charlie Coleman. Free. Who is Charlie he, Coleman, yeah, for that, instance? That was Charlie Coleman. He was a great character. He was, he was, his, uh, there's ladies uh, listening, which I showed her. Like, he was throwing the nude um, <laughs> above in the Lee Fields. And he was a lovely guy. A, a, you know, a, a pure gentleman, but, <laughs> you know, and that's the way he used to go. He used to just swim with no clothes and He's he cold. had long hair and a beard. And he was calling him Jesus as well. He had a couple of names, you know. And um, Born Free was man. a different person, was it? Who was that? Born Free. Was that Charlie Coleman? No, he was the same guy. Same, the same guy. <laughs> That's he why he swam in the hand. nude and had a long beard and a long hair. That's right, Jim. He, yeah. They, they said one time he baptised the guy above him, the Lee. Um, you know, he, he was kind of, I think mental health was a bit of an issue with him towards the end. Okay, yeah. And he, yeah. he took on a kind of a John the Baptist character. And, Amazing. Um, there was a couple of stories about that, you know. i got to find out some more about Johnny Papers, who you say used to oh, live Johnny in a cave. Yeah, well, he... He lived, in, he lived in a cave above in Gillabby Rock. Now, from earlier documentation, St. Finbar was also noted to have stayed, stayed there when, uh, when he, when he um, established Cork. In this cave um, before he built his church? Yes, and that cave is still there up to the present day. But if you talk to the local people around that area, they remember Johnny Papers living in the cave. Um, he, was a, he was a great character, but the poor man... He didn't, the vocabulary wasn't great with him. He didn't speak much, but you'd see him going around town and how he got the name Johnny Papers was that he'd 
pick up a paper, he'd lick it and he'd stick it onto a car. No one ever knows up to this present day why he'd done that. Co-way. And then you had another great character. But wait a second, I mean, how did he feed himself? And like, did he have, did he have bedding in the cave or do you know? Yes, he did. Oh God, he did. He did need it. No, for... No, I went up there several times as a young lad because you'd be curious, you know what I mean? And we lived around that area. So, like, first there was no boundaries, really. You know, we, we went everywhere around the city. Yeah. You know, yeah. the Cold Cave was another great spot. Caddy Barry, she was great to us as kids, you know. Penny Candy Apples, powerful woman. You know, and I have great admiration there for the Cold Cave Shawleys, you know, and Richard T. Cook there. They brought all this back to life again, you know. And the, rate, the late Ronnie Hurley, Richard T. Cook, I know, don't even talk about Ronnie Hurley, what a gent, what a fountain of knowledge, but Richard T. Cook is right up there. On a story, not short before he died in March of 220, I worked in the Old Monster Arcade and um, I was putting together a story, which I'm going to finish now very shortly with the help of God. That was a great place to work, that was incredible. What what area of the Monster Arcade did you work in? I worked in, I went in there as a trainee, uh, under Joe Murphy, the manager, he was, he came from Black Rock here. I went in as a trainee working in the stockroom and then I got promoted uh, by a man called Alex Thompson and I ended up working in the shoe department with Timmy Kelly. His son is still in Badenoch there now at the moment. And some of the buyers when I went in there would have been would have been elderly. Retirement wasn't a thing then back then. And they would have been there during the burning of Cork. Mr. Cashin was a great man. He had great stories. He worked in the Old Monster Arcade prior to that. And, um, so he can he was able to go back to the twenties and the burning of Cork, of course. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He worked there at that as a young man. He worked as an apprentice, and um, I got on famously well with him because uh, back to Tom Barry again. That's where Tom used to buy his shoes in the Munster Arcade. And I remember one day he came in and Timmy Kelly said to me that you serve him, and I was a bit nervous, even though I knew him and he knew me. And but that was my claim to fame. I sold the pair of leather shoes to Tom Barry, and there had to be. Lead. It had to be Cork shoes, you know. He Tom was, Barry would only buy Cork, would he? Yeah, he was a classy dresser. Like I mean to say, he was. He was ooh. a snappy dresser. Yeah, everybody you was know, a snappy dresser back then. Oh, definitely. They took great pride. Like Tom Barry was a very interesting man. I, I like when I got older because because of my grandmother's connection with Thomas McCartney in terms of Max Sweeney, uh, being in common among, she was one of the youngest members in Cork, and she was noted for the great escape. She escaped um, out of Union Key Barrack um, after being arrested one evening with some very important documentation on her. Two minutes later, till I'd been all over, she, she would have been, God only knows what would have happened. But yes, then, I know. Um, like, I, I wonder, do we give enough recognition to women who fought the good cause back in the day? I mean, weren't there two sisters shopkeepers up on Washington Street? That's right. Do you recall yeah, them? I'd agree with you totally, Neil. I, I, I fought for the monument there years ago and finally I got onto Councillor Terry Shannon and there was a monument directed to Common Amon. And um, Mary McSweeney you now would be another great woman. She was a great friend of my grandmother's. She was Terence McSweeney's sister. And so she actually recruited my grandmother into Common Amon. Um, Mary died in 1942. A great woman. Now, unfortunately, they fell out over the Civil War, mm. which was silly, really, but that's the way it was, you know. Um, my grandmother would have kind of sided with Collins because of my grandfather knew him very well the civil wars it really split it split, split an awful lot of families civil war did oh it did there was no doubt about it my grandfather never spoke to his brother they fell out many many years ago ah, you're joking there was a lot of that going on you know but did they ever make up it was history Neil you know we, I suppose we're very fortunate in Cork we have some we have some great people like you know Jerry White there 
breed of scan, breed of scan, or breed of Dinian scan. You know, you could be naming them, and so we said Richard T. Cook there, like we but, have rebel scholars like this. But I, but, but I envy you your, your to a lot. I mean, I'm not being disrespectful to my own upbringing, but I envy you of yours in the city and having witnessed and engaged with so many. Incredible people. Um, Hercules. Who the heck was Hercules? Yeah, he was another great character. He on, on a Saturday, he would put on a show in the cold game. Now, he was about five foot four, but he was one of the strongest men I've ever seen as a young lad. And he would put on a show with a He used to have a massive big whip. Now, the story was that he, he was involved with a circus and he lost his job and he started doing street entertainment. A bit like Lord Murster and these guys, you know. They were all famous guys. Lord Murster, I met him in London years ago, outside Harrods. Um, and then he came to Cork, and he used to be tap dancing outside Cash's, uh, you know, Lord Murster, and you had Click Click, he was another character. But Hercules was an unbelievable guy. He'd lie in a bed of nails, and, you know, people would be just mesmerised to get people to stand in him and... Go away. Corner of the cold care there. That, that's where he used to actually operate. Every Saturday morning, he'd put on a show and absolutely unbelievable. And did yeah. that involve a four foot eight man lifting incredible weights? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but even to get two or three people standing on you and you sitting on them, you lying back on the bed of nails. And he could actually crack a whip and take a cigarette out of somebody's mouth. You know, it was fabulous. You see, they'd be arrested now or told to move on, wouldn't they? Oh, God, yeah. See, the characters that I'm going to there was a reason for him to be there, like Holy Josephs and Andy Gaw and all these people. They brought something into our lives. Andy Gaw really was very territorial because not every place he went. <laughs> he loved the English market. I don't know it was a protectionism, but he didn't go. Queen's Place was the farthest he came out the, of town. The further south, is it? He's no further yeah, south. He, he, has come up, he has come up for his chat with my grandmother. He had a bit of a stammer. I was kind of nervous of him as a kid because... I didn't know what to make out of him because I, I was honestly nervous of him because he he run at you but he wouldn't mean to hurt you and he'd always give you a penny. Yeah, he was a great man for giving money to the children in the community. He'd be giving pennies but, to the children because he'd be tapping it from the adults. You see, that's right, correct. <laughs> and then Bernie Murphy was another character. He lived in um, he lived in lodgings in Share Street, run by Diddley Hands. Uh, they had a the shop there. It's it's a cafe now, as you know. But there was a lodging house there. You had 20 men living in it. Yeah. Bernie Murphy was one of them. And um, Mary the Cats then, she she lived in a little tenement um, off Bachelors Key next to the doll's house. And she would feed all the cats in Christchurch, um, where Bishop Lucy Park is now. There were hundreds of cats there that time. Go and they used to all go... Were they the all stray cats, yeah? You know, in, she was an incredible woman. A lovely, decent little woman. And she, daily she'd go over, she'd get all the fish heads from the, the, the cold, uh, from the English market and she'd feed all the cats in Christchurch. So she got the name in Mary the Cat. I wonder what everybody and else felt about Mary the Cat feeding all the cats with fish heads. They must have been all that impressed. Well, you see, again, Neil, you, you were back in the 60s. Things were different. You know, we, a different generation. You know, the salt, the dear people. You know, they gave, they didn't question they suffered a lot. What about uh, what about Klondike? Yeah, well, he was before my time. But my he? grandmother used to speak about him. He got the ladies' toilet built. Yeah, that was his claim to fame. And um, my grandmother said he was a, 
a rogue, she said, but a great character. Klondike, yeah. But and the Mimo Higgin, the historian, Vinani says, do, does Dennis Coffey remember the Hogans? One of the girls used to do oh, the I Wall of the Death Hogan, in the circus. I do, of course, yes. They're, they're from the, yeah, they had a stall in the Colke and they also had a shop in Hanover Street. And they're, uh, Mrs. Hogan, um, Carl Humphreys, the great soccer player, which I have great time for, was a marvellous soccer player. Um, was he, is, was uh, he Celtic or Hibs? Uh, Carl, yeah. Carl Hibernians. Cork Hibbs, okay, good man. Yeah, he was in the famous, he would my you then he. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, when, when they won the cup. No, thank you. Oh, I didn't you know, want to put my foot in it and getting the team wrong, so Hibbs, okay. The Hogan girls then? Yeah, that's right. They were lovely girls. What's they, this they about the wall of death in the circus? Was one of them a circus act? What? That's right. That's right. One went off, that's correct. <laughs> and you had another guy there as well. They call him Director Traffic, Paddy <laughs> Quinn. He lived in the corner houses. His, um, his father was a farrier. Um, he had a little um, forge over there in Land Street and his mother was a teacher but Paddy, Paddy had a kind of an intellectual disability and at one o'clock every day he directed all the workers and in the evening coming out of the wires so he was called direct the traffic and um, Paddy in his own head thought he was a guard really yeah. and the, the local guard he just left him alone he'd stand there just below the courthouse doing no harm to no traffic. man yeah yeah. you know yeah. They, they were great characters these. yeah I've seen video I've seen footage that was recorded way back I'd say it might have been 1910 15 I think maybe um, it was done by a couple of characters in the UK they used, they used to come over here and just film they filmed all over Ireland and then they would hand out little little tickets and you could go into the SMs then at night and watch the video you know watch the film uh, and one of I can't remember their names two English names I'll think of it perhaps you may remember um, you paid a penny and then you went in at night and you looked at yourself and looked at the city that they had filmed that day but um, they had some footage of people coming out for their lunch break out of Dwyer's and like that's right, Neil, yeah. there were small yeah. boys coming out for their lunch break out of Dwyer's that's right yeah that was not unusual Neil like I was a messenger boy myself very young you know I, I, my first job was with Johnson's a chemist in Washington Street I got a job there as a messenger boy I was barely able to hang on to the bike yes, but like you kind of grew up that time wanting to work, go to school as well. Obviously, I left school at 15. That's no big deal, but that's the way it was. And, you know, we, we like in, in the middle parish, we had one thing and we had the boxing club, which was Matt Talbert Hall. And my grandfather, God be good to him, he managed the old Bridal soccer team. And Uwe Brady there just recently wrote a song about it. My family were delighted because he mentions my grandfather in it. That's nice. And, um, the, the middle parish really, it, it was just unbelievable, Neil. You know, you know, even though some, even though poverty was there, people dealt with it. They got on with life. The cold cave was a was a lifesaver. Like the cold cave was the, the the charity shops of today. People could go to the cold cave. They could pick up some clothes. You know, they actually they could. You know, there was a, a toomey shop on the corner still there today. You know, the people could get a bit of furniture there. You know, it was just fantastic. The cold cave was a was just a hub of activity. Yes, yes. And, yes. you know, like, it's great today to see the Shawleys. You know, Monica McNamara there, no, she's another great girl, Pauline Jackson. You know, they've all contributed, um, and Jim McKeown and all these people, uh, as I call them, the rebel scholars. You know, Jerry Weiss, another great uh, historian, Pat Poland. You know, I could be naming them to the coast. Well, we do have, we have a group... We have a group of great Cork historians who are very, very oh, active no, and we, sh- we should be very thankful there to them. I'm, g- I'm going to take a break, right? And we're going to pick up the conversation then when we come back on the arrival of television in Cork. Is that okay with you? 
Oh, that's fine, Neil. That's fine. Thank Two you. Two minutes. Back after the break. Chatting with Dennis Coffey. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. In conversation with uh, Dennis Coffey. Incidentally, Dennis, just a quick... There's a lot of text coming in, but while it's fresh, can you ask Dennis, what was that man's name again that worked in the Monster Arcade? I worked there as well in the 1970s. My name is Pat Holland. Would that have been... Oh, Pat, Tim, yeah. Do you know, do you know Pat? I know Pat. Who, I know Pat well. Who was he asking for clarification on? Was it Timmy Kelly, maybe, or someone like that? Yeah, Timmy Kelly, yeah, shoe department. And what did Pat do in the Monster Arcade? Pat, Pat, was a, Pat worked in the arcade. He was in the office. His boss would have been Tom Quinlan, a gotcha. gentleman. He died, he died very young, actually, Tom. He was a great man. He was the assistant manager. Okay. The manager at the time was Joe Murphy okay. from Blackrock Road, and Tom was there, Tom Quinlan was the assistant manager. That answers to Pat Holland's question. Now, you run the yep. BlackRock and Mahan notice board, right? And you put up a post about the nostalgic journey of the late 1960s. My earliest memories recall our lovely elderly neighbour, Mrs. Spillane, at first thinking and believing that Charles Mitchell could see us on the television. He was the newsreader way back in the early days of Black and White RT. Wasn't that right? Yeah, he was one of the first, Neil, yeah. He, he won the Jacobs Award as well. Um, loved dog shows. He was a great man. I met him at a dog show one time in Dublin. I, I just couldn't wait to get to see him. And he was um, the first person to read the news on RT, the first broadcast in December was, yeah. of 1961. Yeah. He was, Neil, and he also broke the news uh, of the assassination of Kennedy. Um, no, Charles Mitchell, you see, the television that time, as you know, nobody owned the television that time. They all rented them. And when television first came out, uh, the majority of people would be looking through shop windows. Jennings is in the Grand Parade at Borden Down later. You'd have crowds there in the evening looking at the television. You know, uh, McGregor standing, was another Standing one. at the window looking standing at it. Standing outside the window in crowds. You would have another batch up at Madden's in Bridge Street. That's right. And it, amazingly enough, Neil, they all had their own little places. And if you stepped in there, you get it. In that time, the men, they give you a belt to their hat. They'd never hit you physically. Move back there, boy, or something, you see? And then. Um, <laughs> Watch the television night. in RTV rentals or Hennessy's on Cook Street. <laughs> They'd be standing outside the windows. Jennings is now at Borden Down years ago, Neil, in the Grand Parade. That was a terrific shop. And amazing enough, some of the shops would have sound and some of them wouldn't. Um, and Madden's a Bridge Street. So, like, before people actually got televisions into their home, a lot of them, um, they'd watch them in the shop windows. But didn't the TVs, when you rented them, didn't they have a slot that you'd put the pennies in or something? Well, I tell you, that was later. And I, I, there were people said the rosary for the man in the north side who invented the needle. When the, the slot televisions first came out, yeah. there was a way of supposed to save money. <laughs> and obviously, saving money was very important back then. You put in your little two bob. Yeah. But there was a guy in the north side, a genius, d- discovered that if you got a sewing needle and you heated it, you could put it into the back and the needle wouldn't go down. <laughs> so that was plastic. And that spread in the Bush Telegraph overnight. <laughs> and anyone that had a slot television would do this. But what they forgot was that if you didn't put money in, at some stage when they're coming around to collect it, they'd know there was something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And it took a good, nearly like say nearly twelve months, that this was discovered by the by slot television. They had a place there, I think, in Cook, in Cook Street. Right. And then they took out the plastic and they put in a glass, and that was the end of that. But I wonder, was that Hennessy's then? 
if it was Cook no, Street. No, no, it's television. They had their own place. But you know what they used to do with the gas meter? They used to cut up lino in the shape of a shilling. Oh, Piece, definitely. Pieces I, I, of lino would be in there when yep. the gas man would be collecting the money. That's right. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was absolutely... A.D. Allen, he's a great Northside guy. He's deceased now. He's with Shandon for Beatles. And Charlie Callan would... A.B. worked in the Cork Gas Company and the stories A.B. had was incredible, like... I've often listened to Avi Gobby Goodson for hours, you know. But you know when you put up the tweet, well, sorry, the tweet, when you put up the message on the, the, the notice board about Charles Mitchell, you got some great responses from people, didn't you? Like Kay oh, talking about her mum's friend's Please. Madge. Yeah, and we, we have another, you see, we're connected with 37 different other branches as well. And it goes to America and Australia and all these places. And people are mesmerised. As you know, it, it, when you're away from home, you'd love to get a bit of history. And people in the UK and America and Australia and places like that, they love all this. It's it's great to them. It's, you know, fresh breakers, let's say. Here's some, of the t- here's some of the responses. My mum's friend's ma- friend, Madge, was first on our road to have a television. If there was any shooting on screen, she'd jump up and hide behind her sofa in <laughs> case of a stray bullet. <laughs> That's right, yeah, yeah. It, it was amazing, Neil, because <laughs> when, when we first got television... Um, at home but there was one guy I would have to mention that was Chris Sue he was one of the first guys that sold televisions in Cork I know that name for some reason I know that name yeah Chris Sue he he started selling televisions and that changed everything and that changed he he brought in television second hand ones he imported them from the UK but did elderly people think that television was real Mary Buckley says when Charles Mitchell would come on the telly and say good evening my grandmother would say Good evening back, thinking that oh, he yeah, was talking that's directly that's right. to her. would do the same. And she would tell my grand, she would tell my mother out the life that he could see her. Um, they obviously, they, they believed that the Charles Mitchell could actually see them. They would say goodnight to him. Somebody uh, else said he was lovely. My poor granny could never get over the man in the corner. Did somebody else get <laughs> dressed up? Did another woman put on her best clothes ahead of right. Charles because she fancied him? Yeah, you know, like, you see, it was all new to them. And we must remember as well where they were coming from. They were coming from a different age. Some of the, their, their parents had survived the famine. And they, come, they came through the, the wars of independence. You know, they, they came through the First World War. They came through rationing. They came through all these things. Um, you know, and then eventually, you know, they, they, they came into a century where things were changing. And television was very new to them. New to them. I know. Even my but, own grandmother, like, I, I classed her as a highly intelligent woman, basically because of the way she operated her life. But even she was suspicious of the television, <laughs> you know. I and, um, thought that was a real... Did they think they the person talk, was real in the box? Business. They wouldn't talk business either, Neil. You know, they, they, they kept their... If they wanted to talk, they'd go to another room because... <laughs> A lot of the people felt that they could hear him on the television. Ah, for God's sake. You know, prob- if they were alive today, they'd probably be right. <laughs> That's right. My wife often told, my wife told me the story of a relation, an elderly relation of hers, who would watch TV. And if somebody, and one night, one of her brother, older brothers and sisters was going out, right? And they were all dressed up. And your man, the elderly man, might have been a grandfather, is sitting down watching television, I think singing in the rain, the raining, you know where it rained? Gene Kelly was dancing yeah, yeah. and he turned around and he said you want to put your coat on it's raining outside <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well you see Neil the shows were brilliant at the time because we had a great selection it was only one channel but there was a guy Snotty John he had a pub uh, where Larry Tompkins is now he got Lucas paper and he put it over his television 
to make it look coloured. <laughs> and that, that actually took off. Everything just looked yellow. Yeah, everybody believed. Like, when he done that, that went around the Bush Telegraph again. And people were looking. At that time, you get a Lucasade bottle and you have a yellow band around it all the way. So people went into shops and bought Lucasade and they took off the paper and put it over the television to give her a colour effect. <laughs> to make, up, it was make out they were posh. <laughs> it was absolutely fantastic. But the shows back then, me, like you had Mr. Red, Car 54. You, like, even though we had only one channel, there were some fantastic shows. Mr. Red was a horse, wasn't he? He was a talking horse, that's right, yeah. And Mrs. O'Sullivan was watching. And one night she said to my mother, how did they teach him to do that? You know <laughs> You know Listen, what I mean? I couldn't and find a clip of Charles Mitchell reading the news. I'm sure it exists, but Mark was looking for it this morning. He couldn't find it. But he did find a clip of Charles Mitchell meeting a Cork schoolgirl when she got a tour of the RT newsroom. This is just 30 seconds of Charles Mitchell. Let's see if his voice brings back memories to people. Hello, Charles. I'm somebody here to meet you. Oh, this is Kate Cotter. Kate, hello. Hi. Charles, you still Kate? Nice to see you. And she's come all the way from Cork to see the news being read. Yeah, well, this is where it takes place. I see. Good. Have you seen much yet? Are you going to see round more? Yes. And you're at school? Are you, Kate? Yes. What's the name of the school? Our Lady of Lords. Our Lady of Lords? Ballon Uh-huh, yes. Yeah. Have you got the day off specially? Yes. Well, I hope you enjoy yourself, Kate. Many thanks for calling. Thank you. I'd say she was in awe of him. She didn't have much to say, but he had a gorgeous voice. Oh, definitely. And and the old man, he was another one. He was fantastic as well. Gorgeous. And the old man, he was another famous newsreader. Don Coburn was the third. Remember him? Yeah, Charles Mitchell was really the main. And Morris O'Doherty. Morris O'Doherty. He was was brilliant. (laughs) Well, you see, Neil, I suppose back to the television again and... You know, as life was back then for people, you know. Um, a lot of the people had in television. And you used to go to relatives, you know, that would have a television. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and it, it was it was like going to the cinema. You spoke about the assembly rooms there where they go closed in 1964, I think. The assembly rooms gave great entertainment to people down through the years. And so did the Savoy and the Pavilion and the Col and the Lido and all Absolutely. these places, you know, they Absolutely. And, the, the, the great and I imagine a lot of people, I mean, I can remember the first black and white television that came into the house. I certainly do. And I remember when I struck out on my own, renting the first television for myself. I think I got it in RTV rentless. Tiny, tiny money. And then I went and rented one. You could rent everything. I rented a television from Madden's and what have you. So, I mean... Oh, yeah, it was it's unbelievable. It's a different I mean, world now. It was the same. Yeah. It's from Cavendish's. Cavendish's had a place That's there on right. Patrick Street. That's right. You know, people went in there and they got furniture by the week. That's right. And they what probably and they probably got it from my dad before he went and worked for furniture company furniture in, in Cashes. He was a he was a travelling rep for Cavendish's all over County Cork, up farmyard boreens and everything, getting money oh, and it, delivering it's beds. It's funny that you mentioned Cashes there because Kevin O'Regan, I worked in Cashes for a bit. I knew him well, and I know I know his son Pat O'Regan, who's a fine fine broadcaster and a, and a fine. A production technician as well. Is yeah, on, like they were fabulous stores. Like Cash's, Cash's was um, Cash's was bought by the Munster Arcade. Actually, I remember meeting Sir Hugh Fraser when he came over. Oh my God, he, he, they, yeah. they nearly had the red carpet out for him. You know. I mean, this is your um, story, not mine. I worked part time in Cash's for years and years as a young fellow. I enjoyed it. Worked in lots of different. Oh yeah, you, you remember Vince? Oh, the Vincent. Um, Vincent Kelly. Vin, yeah, and there was another Vincent as well. Um, oh my God, I can't. And Ted White. Damn it, there was yeah, another Vincent. I was in Galway after. When, when I went to live in Galway, 
uh, I checked up with Ted because Ted was my boss in the Munster Arcade and he was promoted and One of the most famous people that ever worked in Cashes actually was the man who had the armoured car that would have been uh, Doyle. What was his name? He was the head oh, of dispatch yes, yes, there. Outside there from um, where, uh, out towards um, that's where the armor car was actually. Yeah, that, that, that's no. The, I think it was. A, I think it was a greyhound. I think. I think he, he raced greyhound. No, no, he was um, uh, what you call it, um, a greyhound. The armored car. That's it. I think he. I think the man who ran yeah. dispatch there, a very big, big, grand, yeah. strong man. Can't remember his name now. Descal. Descal. He, he 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 became a famous window dresser. He was brought in by Alex Thompson. Alex happy was days. a great character. Happy happy oh, When Alex came to the Monster Arcade, he changed everything overnight. But you're a fountain of knowledge, and do you share much of this on the notice board? Well, I, I'm working for. I'm working at the moment now. I'm doing a story for a group in America called Friends of Ireland, and um, I, I'm working on three projects at the moment. Uh, one is the Civil War. The other is the centenary of Michael Collins, and I'm working on on this this new uh, piece on the, the, the Monster Arcade, which I think is going to be absolutely Please share, um, Please share that with us when you're finished, will you? Oh, God, I will, Neil. I will. I'd be only too delighted. And I mean to say to all my friends out there and to all the great hardworking historians in Cork, I salute them because they're great people. And people like yourself that give the likes of myself and others the opportunity well, to come on here and speak and for pleasure. more people because as a result of that, more people will take an interest. And we, we're very rich in our history, thank God. We're blessed. And, you know, the work that's being done by people on a daily basis. You know, people say, you know, history, like like even the Irish language. My grandmother very rarely spoke English. Mm. She always called her. She, her first language was Irish. Mm. And, um, you know, I always, I always said one thing about the Irish language, and I don't want to upset or offend anybody. I always found it to be elitist in a sense like where there were two ways of being educated. And those that were in primary school didn't get the, the full... You see, there was a suspicion mm. of the Irish language, which was which was completely wrong, because everybody knows if you want to get if you wanted to get a good job, speaking Irish was important. But there was this kind of thing about the Irish languages. What do you want to learn that for? I know. Well, I people know. didn't realize, and it's it fought that it's fought that for far too long. It really has. We will chat again, Dennis Coffey. Of that, you can be sure. And I hope that maybe people will pick up on our stories and we get to share some more with the good listeners. All right. But it's lovely chatting with you. Thank you so much. Lovely talking to you, indeed. Cheers, my man. Look after yourself. Take care. August Fain, the great Dennis Coffey. I think the chap I was thinking about was Connie Doyle, who worked in dispatch and cashes. I'm sure somebody will give me the backstory on that gentleman too. The most chosen song because I did ask um, you to text and let us know what your favourite Eurovision song because Ireland is in the semis tonight see if we can get into the finals of the Eurovision then at the weekend this was the most chosen when you added up all of the texts this was the number one uh, chosen Eurovision song by you guys listening this morning Charlie McGettigan Paul Harrington the Rock and Roll Kids have a good day I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.